Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 203. Today, we have a very special guest on our show. We have Ray Andriacchio, who is the mother of Christian Andriacchio, and we are going to be talking about his case today on Mile Higher, which I'm surprised we've never covered it here, actually, because this case is very near and dear to our hearts. Um, We've kind of experienced everyone in this case and the whole thing in person. Well, we've immersed ourselves into the Andriacchio's world and really got just an a real taste of what they've had to deal with ever yeah. since uh, Christian's death and just the fight for justice to try and figure out exactly what happened to their son. Mm-hmm. And for those that don't know, we did uh, a vlogumentary is what we call it, basically like a, yeah. our version of a documentary called mm-hmm. Apartment 801 on this case. It's the one and only documentary we've ever done. And it was with the Andracchio family. Yep, um, We actually went down to Meridian, Mississippi, which is where they live and where Christian grew up. And filmed with them and spent almost a whole week with them. Yeah. And it was a really special time for us. I mean, getting to experience a case like this in person just kind of changed our perspective on true crime in so many ways. And just working on this whole project was, it was a real passion project for us. Um, The documentary came out in 2020. Yep. Um, and we've actually wanted to do more documentaries because we had such a great time working on it, but we all know what happened shortly after yeah the beginning of 2020 so we haven't been able to do other projects but we want to in the future because yeah like i said it, it was just such a impactful experience and ray has been so inspirational to us and we are so so excited to have her here joining us today to yeah, tell you about I, we thought it was case. only right that we bring her out here and mm-hmm. and actually talk with her about this uh in person again and kind of yep. revisit not only just the the case in general, but where things are at now. I mean, it's all been almost what two years since we we filmed that. Yeah, well, we or filmed going it on two in, years or so. We filmed it in like fall of 2019. Yeah, like November. So yeah, going on three. 2019. Yeah, Crazy. time flies. So yeah, we're gonna catch up with her on what's happened since we left yeah. Mississippi, and you know, are we any closer to hopefully getting some justice for Christian? Um, and yeah, that's what we're gonna talk to her about today. But mm-hmm. before we get into it, I did want to. Um, just play our trailer for our our documentary because I, I watched it this morning and it just it really helps set the tone for what this case is all about and mm-hmm. really gives you a great look into Ray really and you know what her experience has been like and just you know sort of how hard this yeah. has all been all the tension in this community how much yes just, this is a very yeah there is a lot of of contention around this case and a lot of animosity Mm -hmm. uh from the other side and just it's it's a difficult one it's a very difficult one it is it's kind of turned this whole town upside down you could say yeah and and really intense and while we were there we discovered there's just so much more going on that even goes beyond oh yeah just christian's case i mean there's so many other Mm -hmm. cases that are impacted by the the just the issues that are going on with the law enforcement, local government there, Mm -hmm. potentially corruption, um, just so many different issues that just plague this town. And the Andrachios have just been so brave in their fight against all of this and trying to right the wrongs that have been made and they're not stopping. And and I just, Mm -hmm. I commend them for that and just have that strength to keep on going and keep the fight going. So, 
So our documentary is available on YouTube. It's in two parts, and we will have it linked below if you haven't seen it. But yeah, let's just watch this trailer. Okay. Yeah, let's watch it. When a parent loses a child, their world stops. It is the closest thing to experiencing your own death while still living and breathing. But you are living and breathing, and you do still have other children and other responsibilities, so you carry on. Time goes by and people move on to another tragedy or celebrate their own milestones. You continue to tread water, half of the time wishing you would drown and the other half of the time feeling guilty that you don't. And time keeps going by. Time that can heal most wounds, but not all. They say when you have a child die that you join the club that no one wants to be a member of. When you have a child murdered, you become a member of a club that is much smaller and comes with its own unique challenges. One challenge that I did not expect and should not have expected was the fight to find justice for my child. Prior to my son's death, I never had much interaction with law enforcement. I thought all was right with the world overall. Ironic enough, I voted for some of the people who later would betray me. I foolishly thought most people are inherently good and would do the right thing. Just brought back. Wait, it's not over yet. Oh, it, oh yeah. Remember? Right. I forgot. So what's up? What, what do you have? I need to, I need to speak with Dylan. Well, you're not speaking with lead, Dylan. Lead me to him. Absolutely not. Yes. <laughs> so fucking funny. It's not funny. Tell us where to find him. I'm not telling he, you he shit. He followed us from the park is behind parties all the way yeah. to Sonic. Yeah. Knocked okay. on my car window right, and so we've asked him to go in a couple of times. Damn. I just got chills. Just a flood of memories just hit me. Oh, yeah. Wow. It gives me... it. Just I haven't seen that in a long time. Full body chills, just just listening to Ray, mm. just talk there, and just seeing yeah. all of those scenes and memories come back is just. I mean, again, just being with a family in person. In a fight, in like you, a full yeah. battle. I mean, mm -hmm. this was like this was. We weren't even fully prepared for what we no. were going into we had, when we went down there. We had no idea just the level of. Mm -hmm. Well, how can you from? internet and from yeah. phone calls no. i mean once you're there in person and you're seeing it that scene of us flipping that sign um that really got me i forgot about that moment actually we were there for the election for da and it was so heated that the sign was actually flipped upside down by yeah, someone some, some asshole on the opposing side. flipped it upside down yeah i mean it's it was a full-out war it was there. it was so intense gosh got me like my heart's like racing now just even thinking about it. It was so, so it was a very intense, intense. experience and yeah. just it, it really changed us yeah, permanently and of how mm -hmm. we look at, at true crime and mm -hmm. just like this isn't just 
stories. This is not as it's hard as it is. Like it's it's very difficult to do this job and and cover cases week after week after week and not have the level of immersion that we have with the Andracchio case because right. you get connected to it physically, emotionally, and and it's difficult. And and that's why we're we want to do this again because it's just it's a totally different experience. And it really just yeah. when you can immerse yourself into a, a a victim's family's world um or just a family that's fighting for justice, it's just a whole nother level of emotions and experience that you can't and, and even at that point, obviously, we even just being immersed in it, you don't feel what the, the family feels, but it no. allows you to get a better a, glimpse, a little, just yeah. a little bit of what they experience on a day to day basis. And yeah. it's it's truly remarkable mm-hmm. what what the Andrakios have, have gone through. And yeah. so I'm so excited to sit down with Ray and catch up with yeah. her and and, you know, kind of go back over this case and and see what's what's happened since we we filmed this. So, yeah, she's. Amazing. Their whole family is amazing. Absolutely. No, we, we love them. I mean, they're like, we've become friends. Definitely. Um, since we, we've done this. And so it's, it's great to, to be able to see Ray again. So we will be back with her momentarily. All right. So we have Ray Andreacchio in the studio with us today, Ray, It's So great to have you here. It's good to be here. And today we're going to be talking about the case kind of from a summary perspective in a sense, and we want to go deep into some of this, but we do want to remind people that there is so much information out there in other sources as well. I mean, there's way too much that we can't pack it all into one episode, but don't let this be your only, you know, insight into this case because there is just so much going on and things are only continuing to ramp up and, you know, more information will be coming out in the future. Okay, so we are going to start with a little background about Christian for those of you who are not familiar with the case and who he was. So Christian Shane Andriacchio was born November 4th, 1992 in Meridian, Mississippi to his parents, Ray and Todd. He had an older brother named Joshua and a sister named Alexa. Can you tell us a little bit about what Christian was like growing up? Christian was very mischievous, um, (laughs) hyperactive, always into something. A very good brother. Uh, he and Josh were very close, and I think uh, until something happened, we didn't realize how close they were. And looking back, Todd and I sometimes say, you know, they never got into a fight. We never remember them really? fussing or arguing. And um, I think their personalities were a good blend, a good mesh. You know, Christian was more outgoing and more the life of the party, and Josh was more quiet and just kind of sat back and let christian do his thing and would laugh at him and you know kind of enjoy his company and alexa looked up to christian um you know he was again kind of the center of her world he took her places and was real good about doing things with her and you know let her hang out sometimes with him and his friends when probably she shouldn't have been (laughs) um but just just a very outgoing kid who liked being around people never met a stranger Mm mm-hmm Loved his family. Mm-hmm. Christian grew up, I would yeah. say, primarily in out in the country. Um, before we didn't move to right. Delwood until um, he was uh, probably 16, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he grew up, you know, in pastures and dry, riding the dirt bike mm-hmm. and making jumps for the dirt bike and swinging over the creek and all that good stuff. Um, and then 
we moved to Delwood, which is, uh, I guess, a little community, a lake community um, outside of, it's about 10, 12 miles outside of Meridian, mm-hmm. and uh, which Meridian isn't a large city by any means. It's only about 40,000 people, but then Delwood's about 12 miles out, and um, it's a large lake, and there's, you know, I don't know how many houses, but mm-hmm. a couple hundred houses built around the lake. Yeah, I mean, we went out there when we filmed the documentary. It's a, it's honestly a, a beautiful area as far as the nature yeah. goes, and the lake's real pretty, and it was probably a lot yeah. of fun to, you know, go out and ride jets. He liked to ride jet skis and yeah. boating and he all that kind of water. stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of really good memories there uh, with Christian. Yeah, we when we decided to move um, and build a house, we really moved there because of Christian and the kids. You know, they wanted to be there. They wanted to be on the water. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily my ideal place because I like being out in the country where there's nobody around you, (laughs) but, um, Mm -hmm. but you know, you, you do things for your children. They wanted, they wanted to live there and they wanted to be on the water. And so, um, it, it, you know, they really enjoyed it there. Yeah. He was out there like every morning, right? Yeah. He, Christian loved being on the, um, pontoon boat, the jet ski. Um, when he went off working on the boat, he got into that routine of, getting up really early because his shift yeah. was 5 30 to 11 30 mm-hmm. um and then he'd be off six hours and then do the 5 30 in the afternoon to um 11 30 at night and so because of that when he'd come home he would still get up early and so he might be out i'd wake up getting ready for work and he'd already be out on the lake you know and it'd be nobody else on the lake of course the sun coming up yeah and um he just, you know, he didn't have to, he could entertain himself. He didn't have to have people around. <laughs> if he, yeah. If he, he'd, he'd make something happen mm-hmm. if there was nothing going on. Yeah. So. What age was he when he started working on the boat? Uh, 18. So he, like. Yeah, that was his. Yeah. Right. Okay. So how did his work schedule work? Like, because mm-hmm. they would do weeks on and then weeks off, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, he did um, 30-day hitches, um, okay. which actually sometimes was a little bit less, a little bit more. It was, mm-hmm. it was the 7th and the twenty. Second, like if he came home on the seventh, then he'd go back oh, on the twenty second. Okay. If he came home on the twenty second, he'd go back on the seventh. Gotcha. But basically, it came out that he was home two weeks, um, mm. gone four weeks. Mm. That's kind of nice to have that like longer time period together. Do you feel like when he was home, you'd spend a lot of time with him? Um, we, you know, we did until he started. He, of course, when he moved out, and um, when he was with Avery, you know, she was in college, and he had a lot of free time because she was studying and everything and so um he he did do a lot you know with the family mm-hmm. of course christian had a lot of friends and he wanted yeah. to pack a lot of stuff into that 15 14 15 yeah. days <laughs> home so there was a lot he would go and do a lot yeah um and then of course when he moved out we didn't see him really didn't see him hardly at all because right. he was gone for a month and then when he was home for that two weeks um you know he was spending it with got a lot yeah yeah a lot of plans and just, mm-hmm. you know, he's got people to catch up with and, and all yeah. that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So it's kind of going back a little bit. Just how was his school experience? Like, how was he as a student? Did he like school? <laughs> I already know the answer to that. But <laughs> for those that don't know, yeah. just, you know, what was was that his thing? School? Oh, school was his thing as long as it was a social yeah. hour. Right. <laughs> um, he, he loved school. He never missed yeah. a day of school. Um <laughs> And actually, I never had a problem with getting Christian to go to school. It's just it was a problem of getting him to do school work. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he, you know, barely scraped by many years in school, but um, his teachers always liked him. And yeah. he always, you know, he always made it through mm-hmm. somehow. Um, 
high school, he depended on girlfriends probably yeah. to do schoolwork yeah. for him or, or mom. I did a lot of his schoolwork for him. But um, no, he he was not much of a student um, as far yeah. as academically. Mm-hmm. He really liked though, the social aspect of school. So, I, like I said, I never had a problem with him going to school. Yeah, you know, it was funny trying to edit down some of the interviews we did with his teachers because mm-hmm. they just had so many memories and so many funny stories. And he was just really well-liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I mean, school may have not been his thing, but he was a hard worker. Mm-hmm. He started working, you know, with your husband, Todd, when he was like nine years old. That correct, and that's yeah. A family he's all, business. he always had um, a a good work ethic. I mean, yeah. he always was doing something. Yes, I mean, you know, whether that was piddling with a motorcycle or, you know, it may not have been a paying job, right? But it was he was doing something. He was real good about going to my grandmother's, his his great grandmother, and house and doing odd jobs for her, and you know, yeah. raking leaves and yeah. cleaning the leaves out of the gutters and things like that. Um, and yeah, he probably started having like a a paying job at fourteen or fifteen. Um, and that's thought, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it, everybody's not cut out for the academic world, and no. you know, there's different types of work that you can do. And I think it's important to get you know your your child into some type of work, right? Whether that's mm-hmm. in school or it's uh, odd jobs or you know working with family things like that. And I think finding where they thrive. I think that's really important, don't you think? Like just helping nurture that drive to want to to do better for yourself and do better for your family and you know find out what what you enjoy doing too and that was kind of his journey uh, over the years was trying to figure out like what he was going to do with his life and what type of work he wanted to do and you know through high school he he had a girlfriend named Avery um, and she was very impactful on him would you say yeah she was a stabilizing force for him kind of help ground yeah, him a little right. bit and you know you know and probably kept him out of a lot of trouble yeah because a lot of times he probably would have been out doing mischievous things he should not have been doing but you know because she was kind of the complete opposite of that she was very studious um wanted to be a vet and you know wanted to have the 4.0 gpa and um so they were kind of polar opposites which was good for her it brought her out of her shell and it was good for him because, again, it kind of calmed him down some and, and gave him a positive guiding force, yeah. I guess you'd say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and he spent a lot of time with her family, and her family was very mm-hmm. stable, very good family. So you were, you would say you're a big fan of, of that relationship then? Oh, yes. I mean, I never really got involved. I know people would probably debate that now but yeah i really never got involved in his relationships because and i mean again he really dated avery for like five years so it was really pretty much just avery but um you know i didn't have to worry when he was with them um and i don't think that they worried if she was with christian um and they you know we're we're still good friends i still talk to avery and avery's mother all the time Right. Oh, good. I was going to ask, how, is she doing okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a veterinarian now. Good for her. And um, loves her job, and, and she's in a, a a very good, positive relationship, and so uh, she's doing very well. That's great. That's yeah. great. So once they graduated high school, that's where they've kind of decided to go their separate ways, because Christian, and how did he get introduced to Magnolia Marine? Marina again, how did he get into that? And she was going to go to college and kind of take a different route. So they kind of decided to to break up at that point, right? Well, they dated 
for probably a year, I would think, a year at least, while he was on the boat. Um, but I, And I think that's what probably, you know, was when they decided they did need to take a break was because she had started college and classes were harder and she was having to study more and she knew that it was going to be difficult to get into veterinarian school. And so she wanted to make sure she was a straight A student. And, um, you know, when he would come home, that would not always coincide with a good time for her to go right, out right. to a party. I mean, yeah. you know, she might have a big test coming up or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that, you know, she did the right thing and put her career goals and everything and knew at that time in her life she needed to be continue on that path she was on. And they decided to take a break, um, you know, because of, again, when he came home his two weeks, he was wanting to go, go, go. And right. she just couldn't do that. Um, and as far as finding out about Magnolia Marine, I think that one of Todd's friends, his um, his family member worked for Magnolia Marine. Okay. And so that was kind of his end. You know, I think they gave him a reference and said, oh, he's a good worker, whatever. And that was how he kind of got hired at, at 18. I mean, it's, you had to be 18 to apply. And so as soon as he turned 18, he started applying for offshore and um, tugboat jobs. Job. Which a lot of a lot of people from Meridian and just that area of, of the country, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. it seems like if you're not going the academic route career wise, that it's a lot of those types of jobs, whether it's offshore oil or it's, uh, right. you know, yeah. stuff going on in the Mississippi River because there, you know, tons of boats are coming up and down that. And so he went and started working as, you know, at the very bottom level job deckhand mm-hmm. and sort of worked his way up from there. And do you remember like him coming home and or telling you about his job for the first time and kind of what he what he thought about it or was he at first like oh this sucks or this is super hard or was he like I love this this is yeah. this is like what I want to do you know the only thing Christian didn't like about his job was was the 30 days mm. and only having two weeks home 14 days because yeah. you know if whether you're in a relationship or not in a relationship those 14 days go by very quickly right. um, and then you know you've got 30 days gone and you know when you're when you're working holidays and and with his schedule, the first year or two, probably the first two years, he his schedule fell on every holiday. Like he was working every Christmas, oh, wow. yeah. every New mm-hmm. Year's, every um, you know, with it being that how just how it worked. Wow. And then somebody switched over with him, and so then he started being just opposite. He was going to be home for Thanksgiving, Christmas, yeah. you know, everything. But um, other than that, I mean, you know, just like any job, you have your bad days where you think, why am I doing this? Yeah, you know, yeah. like, you know, something happened and he would get blamed for it or he would have to, you know, he'd have to clean up after somebody else as far as something they had done. And so, um, but no, I think that other than the, the time schedule and the, the way you had to work with that company, not all companies work that way, but that's how they did their their scheduling. Um, I, he never really complained. I mean, it is hard work. Mm-hmm. but he never really ever complained about working hard. It could be know? dangerous yeah. too, right? It's, I mean, there's definitely some danger involved with it. I mean, you're dealing with heavy, heavy machines and, and mm-hmm. boats and things like that. So he, he gets on the boat and obviously when you spend that much time on a boat, you get to know the people that you're working with really well. And he absolutely loved his captain and, and just everybody that he worked with on the boat, right? Well, he had one good captain, one bad captain. Yeah. <laughs> so, Not absolutely. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so how how it worked, like he would have two weeks of the one, the captain that he oh, really, so really so, liked, so, so. and oh. two weeks of the captain that he, it was just how their schedule, you know, did. Yeah. 
And so, you know, he would, he would, yeah, he would let me know which captain it was. <laughs> uh, he, but no, he, I mean, he, I think he just probably uh, pushed back a little bit more with one captain than the other one. But he did, he did have a very good relationship with one of the captains who really, I think, mentored him and mm. wanted to see him move up. Sure. And he had told Christian, you know, that he was going to be retiring in a few years and he wanted to have Christian at that captain level which have, would have been very, very quick. Um, and Christian would have been very, very young to be a captain. Um, but he wanted basically to hand over the reins to Christian mm. when he retired. And um, so he he was very fortunate in that, that he kind of had people, because it's very unusual for you to go and work on the same boat. They typically move you around. Okay. And he mm. was on that one boat the entire time that he oh, worked wow. at Magnolia Marine. And so he did get very, you know, the, the captains were the same um, you know, the cook, Cheryl, was the same. And so there were some people who he really did get um, close bond with. Yeah, and him and some of the other guys would, you know, goof around. They, there's that video of them dancing. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, you got to fill your time with something, right? I mean, yeah. there's not that much <laughs> yeah. to do on the boat, so. <laughs> I'm sure there yeah. was a lot of practical jokes and pranks. Oh, yeah, I'm I sure. can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just, it, you know, I've never had that experience and just... How you know, I'm sure he felt kind of isolated at times out on the boat, and you know, he's got all of this stuff happening back at home, and there's all these things he look he's looking forward to. And you know, after he broke up with Avery, when he's home, he's going to parties and having fun with his friends and stuff, and a a new girl comes into his life, um, who he meets, which if you want to kind of explain how he ended up meeting Whitley yeah. and kind of how that all started. Um, from my understanding, he was at a party right. across the lake, and um, she was there, and they were introduced, and, you know, it started off very casual. You know, you just, you know, meet yeah. somebody at, at a party and whatever, hang mm-hmm. out here and there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it was pretty casual and laid back the first couple of months, um, two, three months. And again, with him being gone for a month and then just home for two weeks, it takes a little bit of time or anything to get too serious just because you're not really there. Right. Right. But the flip side of that is I think that because you are on this boat and you're isolated and you don't meet, I mean, you don't have the opportunity yeah. to meet anybody right. other than that little window of time you're home, mm-hmm. that the people that you have met become very important quickly because, you know, they do, you know, you have texting and talking on the phone. And so that is your link to home or to, you know, the outside world or whatever you want to say. And so those relationships sometimes I think get magnified. Yeah. Because, you know, again, that's you're sitting there with a lot of time to just think about and and worry and whatever. Yeah. 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 I think that's a that's a great point. I think a lot of just that time he had really and, and as we'll as we'll see as we go further down, you know, sort of the timeline and the relationship with with Whitley is is that all of that gets magnified 10 times over because he's only home for such a short amount of time. And that time with her is so short that he's got all of this extra time to think about what is Whitley up mm-hmm. to at home. And, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, Whitley has a past and, and, and things going on with her personally in her past and things like that. So it's interesting to me though, that Christian seemed like he was looking for a long-term relationship. Like when he, he was with Avery. He was with her for five years, and when he met Whitley, it seemed like he really maybe saw a future with her. Did he ever like talk to you about plans that he had with Whitley or where he wanted to take the relationship with her? Like, did he really see it as 
a serious relationship that could yeah yeah. well to me and his dad he did not i mean actually he would downplay it we we felt like he was probably moving toward trying to start back communicating with whitley um he had started making contact with her brother uh, as far as talking to him and um you know i think that he might have sent Lori avery's mother a text message or something kind of randomly we felt like he was beginning to kind of go back to re, you know Avery. kind of well inching toward seeing what could become of their relationship you know okay. did they have a future did they not because um you know i think kellen um whitley's brother had said that he had started kind of asking questions about was whitley mm-hmm. dating anybody mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and um he would always just tell me, you know, because I, I had concerns about the relationship, and he would just always say, oh, Mom, you know, it's not like I'm going to marry her. Okay. And Todd had, you know, asked him about them being engaged because there was a rumor that they, you know, he had bought a ring right. and they was engaged, and he was, you know, like, well, no, I'm not engaged to her because, you know, like, uh, Christian liked the girls, and so there had been some other girls, and Todd was like, you was just telling me about this other girl you kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, and so... It um, to us, it did not seem. I mean, we worried that it might get that serious, um, but at that at the time of his death, we did not think they were. Okay. I think he meant more that he was interested in a long term relationship in his life. He wanted that. Oh no! Yeah. Yes, no, I do. Th- yeah, I misunderstood your question. Um, he yes, Crick, Christian. But I do think it was because he was in such a long-term relationship with Avery that right. that was almost he like liked that. he, that's what he knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. And there's um, stability that right. comes with that. And and I think it must have been difficult for Christian to go from Avery to Whitley when they're, Whitley that's and them are yeah. polar opposites. And mm-hmm. Whitley runs kind of in a wilder circle of friends, mm-hmm. so to speak. And so his experience going from Avery to Whitley must have been dramatically totally different, different and stressful and and just you know like I, I couldn't even imagine having to to go from something so stable to now you're in this situation where you know kind of with the wild party girl I guess you yeah. could you could call it yes I think that was very stressful for him because there you know he didn't have to worry about what Avery was doing there was never distrust between them and you know like you said Whitley came with a whole she had a whole different lifestyle and, and personality. And so um, I'm sure he sat there on the boat and would, you know, wonder where, you know, where is she? Who's she with? What's she doing? Where with Avery, you didn't really have to worry about that. You know, right. you knew she was at school or she was yep. at home studying, you know. And I think that also, you know, Christian had told me, you know, when I would encourage him to date other people, or whatever, and he would say, well, you know, it's a little hard to do that when you're only home for 14 days. It's hard to meet somebody unless you just, look, you know, randomly move, you know, kind of like yeah. you met Whitley. He randomly met her yeah. at a party. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he did want that. Kind of like someone to come home to right. at the end that of the day? Right, that connection with sure. someone that yeah. could, fe- I mean, I'm sure a lot of it had to do with filling your time on the boat, you know, somebody to talk to. Yeah. Like, he didn't yeah. want to talk to mom all the time. He didn't yeah. want right. to talk to I mean, you know, you want to have someone that can, you know, can talk for hours at a time yeah. and text and all. And so um, you do need, I mean, you know, it was important, I'm sure, to a lot of people that work in that kind of job to have someone at home waiting for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to to have something to go home to and, you know, feel like your life 
isn't only on the boat. Like you also have a life outside of your job and out of your work. And, you know, and I think in some ways he was trying to create that and, and just obviously creating it with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. And did, I'm curious, did he ever know of Whitley prior to meeting her at the party? Like it's a pretty small, Mm -hmm. small town. So had he had prior contact with her previously? Not that I'm aware of. And he never, I mean, it never has no one never has heard ever the name said, or, right, okay. no one has ever said, oh, well, yeah, he knew her from, you know, I don't think they had ever crossed paths, really, because um, Whitley had not always lived in Delwood. She had lived in another community and gone to another school and so did not, um, and okay. there were several years difference between them. And so, you know, I don't know exactly when she moved to Delwood, but it had not been that long. So they really didn't have the same circle of friends at all. At the time that they sort of started talking, who was Christian's best friend? Was it Taylor? Right. Yeah. yeah. Taylor Dahl, you know, he had just recently before, you know, I almost have wondered if maybe, you know, Dylan actually introduced him to Whitley because Dylan was friends with Whitley and he had never really socialized a lot with Dylan. You know, also the thing you have to take into consideration is as you get older, your friends are starting in serious relationships too, or they're getting married or right. they're whatever. So, you know, you're you're not a lot of times your friends are with their girlfriends and doing those kind of things and not going out and partying so um a lot of his friends you know again were not necessarily want to just go out when he came home to party yeah so um you know i think that's kind of how dylan entered the picture was because dylan wasn't dating anybody he was out going out he lived around the lake and so i think that they just kind of randomly met up somewhere and then ended up becoming pretty they're just kind of friends. both in the same place in their right. lives you right. know, and they were connecting on that and connecting on you know christian wanted to have fun he wanted to come home and make the most of his time have a good time and yeah. dylan was sort of the facilitator of of like where that good time was right. and obviously whitley uh is now a part of that as well so whitley and christian are dating and they actually moved in with you guys for a period of time what was that like at first it was fine i mean you know she she was kind of on your best behavior at yeah, first respectful right. and i mean right. i'm sure like anybody would be when you're you're in yeah, someone's home that you don't really know yeah. um because i did not know her or any of her family at all and until christian brought her around and then as time went by you know things started to happen that did not uh go well um and there were things that would come up missing and there was um just behaviors that I started picking up on that I didn't feel like were very positive. And so I would talk to Christian about that and be like, you know, and again, encourage him to maybe date somebody else or to go Mm -hmm. date, you know, just date around. You don't have to be in this relationship. And, um, you know, he always took up for and made excuses for her behavior. And Mm -hmm. so then when my son asked him to move in with him because, you know, he needed help paying the rent and everything. Um, that was in November of 2013 when Christian moved in with Josh. Oh, right, yeah. right. Um, but I can't remember exactly. I would say that she probably stayed at the house for maybe two months, two, three months at the most. And did Christian um, just ask you to, to let her move in? And Yes, he told me, you know, I work with, I'm a nurse practitioner, and I work have always worked with children, yeah. and so I kind of have a bleeding heart <laughs> to, course, when yeah. it comes to kids and young people. 
And he gave, you know, he told me that she had a bad family situation and didn't have anywhere to live and, um, you know, that her mother had kicked her out. And so could she come stay there? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you know, I guess she can stay here for a little bit until, you know, they can work things out. And so it was a, it was meant to be a temporary situation, which it was a temporary situation, but um, it just went downhill pr- pretty quickly. Okay. So just even a couple weeks into her being there, you were already seeing red flags. Yeah, probably two, three weeks. Um, and then when he left to go on the boat, you know, it was his understanding she would stay there because she didn't have anywhere to live. Right. Yeah. Um, and he had asked me, would I take her to school? Because she was in high school. And I said, sure, I guess so. <laughs> nice of you. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we would drop her off at school. But then she started not being at the house and um, not going to school. That was, you know, an issue that she had past history of truancy. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, you know, and I would call Christian and say, well, look, she's, not yeah. here, you know. I I can't take her to school if she's not here. Yeah. And so then when he wouldn't be there, it she was just kind of there hit or miss. Mm. I mean, you know, and so mm. then the question was, well, does she really not have somewhere to stay if she, you know, has somewhere to stay when you're gone? So again, it just didn't go well. So there were several incidents we don't have time to go over everything that happened with Whitley while she was staying with you guys. But one thing that always stands out to me is the famous story of the picture. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that a little bit? I have like a sitting area, which I call a library in my off of my bedroom. And I have pictures mm-hmm. of the kids through the years. And of course, because Avery and Christian had dated for so long, there's some pictures that she was in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they broke up, I didn't go take out all the, the Avery pictures. Uh, they were still up. And so one night I was reading and, my, and Avery, um, Whitley came into my room and she put a picture down on the bed or right there by me and said, this is what I think of this. And it was a picture of Christian, but then the the face of Avery had been like holes punched in it or shot out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what is that? And she says, well, that was a picture of Avery and Christian. And she, and she said, I shot her face out. And <laughs> I said, so I went to Christian and I was like, Christian, this isn't normal. No. I mean, you know, you, she came into my room, mm-hmm. took a picture, you know, then went and destroyed it. And then on top, I said, you know, that, that what makes it worse is then you come and bring it to me and show me. So to yeah. be sure that I know what you have done yeah, because I probably would have never missed the picture. I mean, right. you know, really. Yeah. And um, I just don't. I just told myself I just don't think that's normal behavior. No. That you know, you're you're not respecting. I wouldn't go into someone's bedroom. Um, you know that even if I was staying there, I would not go into their bedroom and then take something. Especially my them. boyfriend's mother. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's kind of weird in that sense as well. And did she? How far into her staying with you guys did that happen? It was. A, m- a month or so month. because like I said she really wasn't there that long um, because of different things that was just kind of like probably one of the most red flag I mean you know yeah. the biggest red flag totally. um, and then you know when we had the issue with Alexa and found out that she had given Alexa Xanax it was right. like she's got to go I mean now you're impacting right other you know family other members, family members. Yeah. and so that was also a really big incident that yeah. happened she gave 
your daughter drugs. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. She really didn't like Alexa. No, no. And she, yeah. And so there's still started, a lot of conflict yeah. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She really just started causing a lot of issues for the whole family at that point. And were you starting to kind of think of like, who is this person really? Like there's something just really off about her. And, and obviously she has a very troubled past. Did you, did you really know anything about her past or where she had even come from? Did, did Christian even know, or was she kind of like giving him a certain version of herself? It seems like sometimes like, yeah, she would, you know, whether they were true or not, she would, Tell Christian, you know, he would ju- she would kind of justify some of the things that were said about her, and would, you know, typically present herself as a victim. Mm-hmm. And Christian also kind of has this savior complex of feeling like he needs to save, you know, people who need saving. And um, I didn't know anything about her, and then I started when kind of you know her and Christian, I guess, word got out they were dating. Then I would have parents and people texting me or calling me and saying, you know, you really don't want him dating her. And they would say, you know, their experience with her, you know, and I would take those concerns to Christian and say, look, I'm really worried about this. Um, You know, there were some things that she had posted on, I don't know whether it was Twitter or Instagram, I think it was Twitter, Yeah, that, you know, a lot of drug use, um, kind of bragging and making fun of drug use. And I was, you know, concerned about that. Again, just all these red flags started coming up, and because I had never really become involved in Christian's relationships, it was kind of unusual for me to be sitting here going, yeah, you know, right. asking questions and yeah. all that. Digging in so deep Yeah, what's because going I on. just had never had to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Christian, knowing that I didn't want him to continue to date her, he began just not telling me things, you know, Mm -hmm. because just to keep from having conflict, well, then, you know, we just won't talk about Whitley. We'll talk about everything else but Whitley. And so it, she became kind of like a topic that just was not brought up, you know, Uh, like if he was on the boat and calling me, we would talk about everything else, but not Whitley. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I get that to some extent from his part. I mean, you know, you, you guys had a great relationship. He doesn't want to jeopardize anything with you, but at the same time, he really likes Whitley and he, he wants to keep that keep that going with him or with her. And it's I'm sure he was torn. I'm sure he was torn at times of, you know, I want to tell my, my mom more, but I also don't want to hear things that I don't, you know, that I don't want to hear. go yeah. against sort or of how I feel. Tense. Do you feel right. like he was in the dark? On a lot of things that was actually going on back at home with Whitley, do you like do you, or do you think Whitley? How transparent was yeah. she about her life with him? Do you think? Oh, all he was gone. I think it was constant lying and deception. Mm-hmm. I mean, even you know, in the text messages. I mean, you know, when when the text messages from his phone were came out. I mean, it's obvious that way early on. I mean, at the very beginning of the relationship, there's trust issues from the very get go. Yeah. Um. You know and. There are things that, um, you know, I'm sure that he didn't know about that we, you know, that nobody knows about, but just the things that he found out about and the, the lack of trust as far as other guys and, and everything. Um, and then, you know, him, the flip side of that, having people calling him and texting him saying, well, I saw Whitley doing this. I saw yeah. Whitley doing that. Yeah. You know, I heard Whitley did this. And he knows he's on a boat and can't do anything about it. He can't, That's gotta be you so know. So, yeah, it's very frustrating, um, very, which, again, is probably why I'm sure there's a 
high rate of failed relationships and people who work in that industry, (laughs) you know, just because you have to have a very trusting relationship for anything to last. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to have a good foundation. Mm -hmm. And you really need serious time with somebody Mm -hmm. to get to know them. And, you know, I I sometimes wonder, I'm like, how well did he know her? Like, Did he spend enough time with her that he really, because I'm like, Christian seemed like he was, he's a smart guy. I feel like if he had enough time with her, he might have been able to, you know, these issues that Whitley was presenting would have really became more known to him to the point where he might have come to the realization that this is just not not worth my time. Like, why am I putting all this time and energy into somebody who's not, you know, not giving me what I need? And in order to, you know, proceed with this relationship and especially in the, you know, looking at the long term, like, and it's, it's difficult. And I, I can just feel almost feel like how torn he must have been you know trying and just how frustrated and and angry that you know he's getting these text messages he's hearing about what she's doing at home and he's out on the boat and he's thinking about what he's going to say to her what he's going to do when he gets off the boat and how is he sort of going to you know deal with the situation i mean she's just really just creating tons of problems for him and he feels almost like helpless that he can't deal with them because he's he's gone for this this long period of time it must have been really, really difficult. So Whitley, you end up kicking Whitley out. I think you kicked him, kicked her out a couple times. Um, and and then Josh was actually he went through a divorce, and so an extra bedroom opened up, and Chris he he invited Christian to come live with him, right? Right. And to go back to what you were just talking about, though, I've never thought of that as far as thinking about that. If he had had like had that not been time. working on the boat, yeah, like with Avery. yeah, that's what I was really. You know, like to, you yeah. have all these years of building that relationship and knowing that person, right? Before you go off and work on the boat, um, but because everything is kind of on hyper yeah. mode because like you have I got to get all this forward, in, yeah, yeah, in this yeah. short period of time because then I'm going. And very good point, Josh. I've never thought about oh, it that way. Yeah, um, yeah, and. Well, I just, I feel, yeah, I feel his frustration and his, and, and, and I mean, that probably upsets me more than yeah, a I, lot of other things is mm-hmm. that I can almost feel his, you know, that frustration and that building of probably knowing what you need to do, but also not wanting to do it. And it's yeah. like Todd said, I've, I've said this before, and Todd was right. After all this, he said, you know, we always taught him how to treat a good girl right. He said we never taught him how to treat a girl, a bad girl, wrong. You know, That's and a good way to put it. And he, you know, he said because he, you know, he she had always been with a good girl, you yeah. know, right. and he'd always said yeah. we never we never had to say well now sometimes you just gotta treat them like you know sometimes you gotta do what yeah. you gotta do. And Josh has um, his brother has pointed out that he felt like that Christian was always pushing Whitley to break up with him and cut it off because like to be the one to just do it because he said Christian didn't know how to break up with somebody because right. he had never yeah. been in that position. Doesn't have that That's experience true. of how to you deal know, with that. Because even he and Avery wasn't like a, it was like a mutual, yeah. you know, okay, let's take some time off. Then a year from now we may get back together. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no just, Hey, look, you know, I'm tired of you or I'm sick of this yeah. or whatever. And, I don't think he knew how to stop helping her. Right. Like, and just say, enough. Because in his mind, if he stopped helping her, 
Who's nobody gonna, was yeah. going to help her, mm-hmm. and she was a lost cause. She's and, younger too, yeah. and yeah, yeah. I mean, well, he cared about yeah. her, and just from her her life experience, and she's sort of she's had a very different upbringing, and, and grew up in a different environment, and she's kind of she's kind of has to be scrappy and kind of figure out how to manipulate situations or people to try to you know almost like she's in this survival mode i guess you could call it and, and christian's had a much more stable upbringing so it's he he's lacking that inside of how that other side works and he's trying to you know he's got such a good heart and so you know he's he's got so much love for her that he's trying to bring her over to his side and trying to win her, her over and show her that this is this is the right way to do things and she just has no concept of that she's never you know i don't know her personally but from everything i've heard is that she doesn't really have that sort of foundation in her life that christian had and and that's a difficult thing to build in somebody especially in such a short amount of time yeah and being gone so right. often and that's i mean it's like, like any progress he probably did make kind of got lost when he would mm-hmm. be back on the boat and i just wonder if things would would have been different had he not had a different job or he had been there every day with her and maybe maybe not but that's just something i've i've always thought about i'm just like it's just such a hard thing to to really deal with because it's like he was trying to do what was best for him in his life and you know he's just following his heart right he's just following his feelings and and the way he feels about somebody and it's in in the right way too he's he mm-hmm. you know he really likes this person he really wants to see him make it work save but, people and- but yeah it's just and not having that experience of how do i let go and realize that you know maybe there's somebody else out there that is going to have those qualities and things that i need and and obviously there's a lot more malicious behavior on the other side and manipulation because ultimately there's other things she's looking to get out of christian other than just you know have this loving relationship and maybe that was never her intention from the get-go but just something i I think about sometimes i don't know yeah i think if he had more time he would have been able to see more of that mm-hmm. you know so going back you guys did kick whitley out and that probably caused a lot of tension i'm sure christian mm-hmm. wasn't thrilled that that right. happened um so how long was she gone the first time you kicked her out um my timeline probably ain't gonna add up if we sat here and added these months <laughs> up but because i've never just sat down and done a timeline but as far as about that but estimate. i would say too much it wasn't too i'd say too i'm doing going by like his hitches Okay. I would say probably two hitches because, okay. um, which would be, you know, two, three months. It upset me because he felt like that if she can't be here, then I can't be here, you know. Right. Um, and I would say, no, Christian, you can be here. And I'm not saying you can't date her or be with her or whatever, but she just can't stay here, you know. Yeah. And in his mind, it was kind of an all or nothing thing. Yeah. You know, like if, you know, and, and, and it wasn't that he was like, mad and saying you won't it was more of a, a reconcile to well you know i'm gonna I'm, i mean it was never any exchange of words or him being mad or upset mm-hmm. or saying you know how dare y'all kick her out it was just more of a okay i understand yeah. but if she can't be here you know i want to be with her when i'm home for those 14 days so i'm gonna be wherever she is and so you know i think that some people try to portray it like there was some hostility there. It was mm-hmm. never any hostile. We never had he any. understood right, why you had right, to do it. Um, right. And, 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 I mean, we continued to talk and whatever. Of course, he just didn't come around the house right. as much because he was with her. 
And so I gave in because I wanted him back home. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're I in wanted, a tough position. Yeah, I wanted, and so it became, so even though I said I would never do that, I said, you know, hey, look, if we can have some ground rules, she can come back, you know, and, and everything. And so that happened. And then Josh asked him to move um, out with him. And she had already, we had already told her she had to leave again. and. She came to the house and packed up all of his stuff. I'll never forget this. It was his birthday was November fourth. He came back on November seventh, and we always had big birthdays, like with mm. the family. The it was just a little tradition. We got a, a, a cake, and it'd be decorated some way like that would be reflective of them. And um, whoever birthday it was, they got to pick where we went out to eat, and then all the family would go. You know, my even extended family would go, and so that day, the seventh. I had gotten him this big cake that was, you know, 21, finally legal, it said. It had a beer can pouring beer down oh, wow. and had poker <laughs> chips because he could not finally get into the, the, gam- yeah. to the yeah. um, casino legally and everything. That's and so, cool. um, you know, I kept calling him. And now I think that he probably didn't get the messages now that I know that she at times had his phone and would whatever. Right. But I kept calling and trying to make arrangements like, what time are you going to be here? What time, you know, where, where are we going to go eat and all? You know, when I finally got him, he was like, well, um, let's just, I've got to go do this with Whitley, and let's just um, cook out at the house, mm-hmm. you know, which was fine, but it was kind of departing from our tradition. Right. <laughs> and okay. I was like, fine, you know, okay, what time are you going to be there? Oh, okay, well, I'm going to be there, whatever, seven, whatever time. And so then we get there, and we wait, and we wait, and they're late, they're really late. And um, she had already come to the house and packed up all of his stuff. And he was saying, because they were going to go to Josh's, and he was saying, well, I'm just going to, probably one of the few times I heard them argue in front of us, um, like, you know, I'm just going to, we're just going to stay here tonight. No sense. By this time, it was no nine or 10 o'clock. We'll just stay here and we can move our stuff. No, she was insistent. They was going to leave that night. Yeah, it was going to leave that night. So they get their stuff and leave. Well, then I found out that she had taken a bunch of stuff I don't know whether she threw it away, gave it away, but it was like expensive, like pullovers and Patagonias and, huh. you know, all this kind of stuff. And so I call him and I'm like, where is the bag that had all these pullovers and everything? Because I said, all of those were not yours. Some of those were mine. Some of them were Lexus, you know, whatever. And he's like, oh, well, she said that she um, gave, them, gave them to somebody, that she thought that they were mine. Hmm. And I'm like, but it's not her stuff. You know, yeah, it's... Right. Whatever. So here it is, his first night back, and we're already having conflict yeah. with her Never and easy. about her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it just things did not go as our normal birthdays went, and that became kind of what happened from then on. You know, he really wasn't home that much when you think about it because of going, being gone for three months. I mean, a month at a time. So there was really only what two more hitches, three more hitches before you know. Yeah. So did he like living with Josh when he was home? Did he like living with his brother or were they kind of, how was Josh kind of viewing everything at that point? Was he starting to, did did Josh ever like come and talk to you about what he was observing with Whitley while, while he was off on the boat? And well, did, I think Josh was caught kind of in the middle yeah. because on one hand he wants to be loyal to Christian but in, and he knows how we feel about yeah. the situation. But then on the other hand, he's concerned. Well, I know he wasn't as concerned as we were um, just because, He's kind of dealing with his own stuff, you know, as far as going through a divorce that was not expected. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
you know, he was kind of going through a rough period himself. And I mean, he would voice concerns as far as like say that, you know, they got into a fight and, and Christian kicked her out. And then he would, he really wouldn't bring it up unless I flat out asked him a question. You yeah, know, he was just Whitley, like forthcoming right, with the information. Right, you know, yeah. well, you know, if, is Whitley there all the time? Is Whitley right. living there? Is Whitley, you know, and I tried not to, quite frankly, she really had become a subject that none of us was talking. Like we all avoided mentioning her name because it just, it, it caused tension between all of us. And, you know, I feel like a lot of it was intentional. A lot of it was her alienating him from his family so that it was just her. And as far as him liking living with Josh, you know, I don't know because he never, I mean, I know he didn't like, you know, living in an apartment is a lot different from living at a lake where you can jump on jet ski and go boat, whatever. And so, I mean, I know he didn't like being confined yeah. in a small space. You know, he didn't have a yard. He didn't have a place to, you know, park a dirt bike and do all that kind of stuff. So, you know, he was looking for a house. He actually, in December, I still have the pictures on my phone. He had asked me, would I go to a house at Delwood that was up for sale and take pictures and send to him because he was wanting to buy it. And he said, you know, fix it up and then rent it or sell it or, or live in it. And so I know that he was thinking about trying to find somewhere bigger and somewhere of his own. Yeah. I'm sure he missed Delwood a lot yeah. after he yeah. had a taste of the apartment life yeah. for a little while. Yeah. Really different. So let's let's talk about Dylan for a yeah. moment here because Dylan plays a very big role in this whole whole case and just there's some misconceptions about Dylan out there and and even uh, in a 48 hours that came out his mother said that they were best friends she used those words best friends and that isn't necessarily the case based on everything that we know right um no they were not best friends. He may have been Dylan's best friend. Right. Dylan, Dylan might was, have yeah, called but him Dylan, best friend. I mean, yeah. his best friend would have been Taylor. Right. And even though, you know, just because you spend a lot of your time with someone doesn't make them your best friend. It's just the person that is available. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Um, I think that, you know, he probably made a lot of effort to be around because Christian paid for everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he was a, he was a good person to be a friend with um, yeah. generous works yeah. hard yeah. um and you know things have been even recently in the last year have, that dylan has said that definitely contradicts him even treating him as a best friend um as far as dylan to christian and you know he has said some pretty harsh things about christian so i i don't even know if he thinks really that Christian was his best friend, I think right. that it would just sounded good at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Kind of convenient yeah. for his story. It's very clear that Dylan and Whitley were sort of leeching off of Christian. They were taking advantage of his generosity, paying for meals, giving them a place to stay when he's home, you know, kind of, he was, he was the guy to hang out with. Dylan would be at the apartment when Christian was on the boat. Right. Right. Yes. And he his whole deal is like, I'll, kind of babysit Whitley while you're, you know, not those exact words, but, but he would kind of watch loosely. Yeah. But there's also how much was he actually really even doing that too? And did they, do you know, did they run in the same circles, Dylan and Whitley before uh, they introduced uh, Christian to Whitley? Probably loosely. Yeah. I mean, okay. not exactly the same okay. circles, but had some overlap in friends. Okay. Right. 
you know, we, we knew very little about Dylan. He had just never been. I mean, he came over to our house once or twice during that time period when mm. right prior to Christian meeting Whitley. And even after that, he, he we really didn't see him. And I don't, you know, again, don't really, didn't really know very much about him. And just from all the time, over the years of talking to people, it seems that Dylan could be two different people. I mean, mm. it, with some people, he's this way, and with some people, they view him very differently. So for years, I thought of Dylan one way, and then, it, you know, just because that was kind of the demeanor that I had seen. And then later, when we talked to other people and they started describing some of the things that he had done and, and been involved in, it was like, you know, that, that's, like, that's just like a totally different person. So I, I do think there's two sides to Dylan, so, I mean, I guess that it depends on what side of Dylan, you know, right, was at the apartment that day. So they, they spent, when Christian was home, they definitely spent a decent amount of time together. And Christian would talk with Dylan about lots of different things. And so those two both knew about Christian's job on the boat and the insurance policy that he had on the boat as well. You want to kind of talk about that a little bit? Um. Well... There was talk about an insurance policy. When all this came out, we couldn't really understand why a 21-year-old mm-hmm. would even be talking about a life mm-hmm. insurance policy. Because right. when I was 21, I wasn't right. thinking about, oh, I got to go get that life insurance policy. No. And he had mentioned it to them on the boat. Some co-workers kind of bragged about having a, taken out a million-dollar life insurance policy. And then he had asked um, Todd, actually, uh, the his work paid for life insurance policy for all their employees. And he had Avery down as his beneficiary. And he had talked to Todd about changing the beneficiary to Whitley. And Todd had told him, no, don't do that. You and her aren't even going to probably be together. Just leave it like it is, you know. And he did. He left it like it was. But um, we just could never understand why he was even talking about life insurance policy. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing to even be. And so from... You know, text messages, it looks like Whitley had told him that she was pregnant at one point, and I think there was questions about, well, how would I take care of the baby? If, mm. You know, if something happened to you, how would I take care of the baby? And I think that probably planted in his head that, mm. well, something may happen to me out here. And, um, you know, Christian being Christian, Christian liked to, to elaborate, I sure. guess you'd say. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. nice way of yeah. saying yeah. sometimes. Sure. Um, he, um, you know, was bragging about taking out this life insurance policy. I'm assuming just, yeah. that he had told her that, you know, don't worry about it. I've taken out this life insurance policy. Now, do we have any, you know, was that in text or anything? No. Yeah. No. Um, and then after his death, Dylan went to his grandfather, to uh, Christian's grandfather and said that, you know, hey, what about this life insurance policy? Because, you know, Whitley needs a car, Whitley needs whatever. And um, so that's why we know that it had been discussed. Okay, that that makes sense. So let's let's move to February twenty second, two thousand fourteen. Mm-hmm. Christian boarded uh, the boat for a thirty day hitch, and Josh also worked on a boat as well, a separate boat. Uh, he was on a thirty day hitch as well, and Josh's hitch had started on February seventh. And during the month of February, Christian and Josh texted a lot about his you know, his relationship with Whitley, and it seemed to Josh that things weren't going very well. Is that 
does that kind of sound uh, like what Josh Josh said? Right, and we had um, some conversations with Josh, or I did had a couple of conversations where I had asked and you know about it, and I think that's even mentioned in the text messages, like Christian saying, "Well, my mom asked me about you mm-hmm. know where y'all broke up," and um, you know Christian had told Josh that they were broke up, that he had told her to get out and basically be gone, you know, when he came back. Um, this was also the first time that Whitley was going to be at the apartment by herself in the past. Josh had always been there. Like when Christian was on the boat, Josh had been home. So this was the first time for her to kind of have free reign um, without anybody there to supervise her. So when Christian was home, things would be like sort of okay with Whitley. But this last time they were bad before he even boarded the boat. And, you know, he wanted her completely out by that time. Whitley moved into apartment 801 loosely. I mean, was she, like, fully living there? Yes. Uh, Josh, you know, I think that he said that he didn't know that she would be there even when Josh, when Christian was gone. He thought that she would go back to her, her grandmother's or somewhere when she would leave, when he would leave. Yeah. But he, she didn't. She was there. Okay. And Christian had asked Josh to drug test Whitley. He was trying to put a stop to the things that Whitley was doing. He was trying to sort of rein her in. Um, but Whitley refused, and she had actually failed for marijuana and benzos as well. So Josh kicked her out at that point. At Christian's orders. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how old was Whitley at this time? 17. Okay. 16, she was 17. barely going yeah. to school at right. that point. Yeah. Okay. So February 24th, Josh asked Christian about his relationship with Whitley. Josh said that he thought Christian should break up with Whitley. And at that point, Christian said he was set on breaking up with Whitley and moving out to Jackson. He wanted a fresh start at this point. So did it seem like Christian was secure in that decision? I mean, to you, I know this was all kind of happening mm-hmm. from a distance at for you at that point. Right. Josh actually told me that he was talking about moving, leaving his job, going to another com- um, you know company and moving to Jackson. And so I said something to Christian about that and and was trying to make the point of don't quit a job that you've been at for a while and and you're moving up pretty fast mm-hmm. over a girl you know right. like you know yeah. don't she's not worth it right you know and so and he and he was telling me how you know I'm not going anywhere I'm I'm not going to move until mama who we my grandmother his great grandmother he was very close to her he mm-hmm. said you know as long as she's kicking as he said you kicking. know um, I'm, you know, I'm going to be around. And, um, so that was kind of, he said, I'm just, I've just, you know, somebody had told me about a job and somebody had called and offered me a job and I was just thinking about it. So he kind of downplayed everything. Okay. So the night of the 25th, February, Dylan calls Christian multiple times and Christian tried getting hold of Whitley, but she never answered any of his calls. Dylan told Christian that Whitley had taken his car out to the shop and she had been driving all over town with some guy. So Christian decided to get off the boat and head home. And you weren't aware that he had made that decision at that point, were you? No, no. So he tells his captain that he'd be back the next day by crew change at 5.30. And so everyone on the boat is under that assumption that that's his plan. He's going to kick Whitley out of the house again and then come back to work. 
So Whitley had already, or out of the apartment, I should say. Whitley had already been kicked out. She was not supposed to be at the apartment. Um, and now Christian needed to kick her out again. So he left on the morning of the 26th. And he came up with sort of a cover story to get off the boat. He was pretty determined to get back to Meridian. So he said that someone was going to pick him up from St. Rose, Louisiana, where the boat was docking. And it's about a four-hour drive from Meridian. Christian's Jeep was parked hours away from St. Rose in Vicksburg, Mississippi, where he originally boarded the boat. And he had two pistols, correct? One in his Jeep in the driver's side door and the other in the lockbox under his bed. And were, were you aware that he had those? And that did you know at that point that he was keeping them? We didn't know he had the pistol in the lockbox. We didn't know about a lockbox, actually. Um, and we knew that Todd's grandfather had bought him because I, mean, I think Christian wasn't old enough to legal, right. legally Can't get legally the gun. Yeah. Yet, yeah. So Todd's grandfather had actually, I mean, Christian paid for the gun, but his dad grandfather had bought the gun. It was in his grandfather's name. Okay. We knew he had that gun, um, which he kept, yeah, usually under his seat, Um in his Jeep or wherever he was. Um, you know, if he brought came into the apartment, he'd bring it in, which, you know, we still feel like that the gun was not at the apartment, that it was probably in his Jeep. Okay. And so that night around 2.30, he calls a fellow deckhand named Justin. He, he was pretty close with. Would you say that was kind of his best friend from work? Yeah, a good friend from work. Yeah, his work friend, I guess you'd say. Okay, and so he asked him to come up and get him, and he told him the same story that he gave the office, that something had come up with his mom and sister. Justin agrees to pick him up, and he was just about to leave when Christian called back and told him, never mind, don't worry about it. Christian also said someone else was going to come pick him up, and that person owed him money. Justin was trying to ask what was wrong, but Christian didn't really tell him what was going on. Justin wanted to still come out and pick him up, but Christian told him, yeah, don't worry. So the person coming to pick up Christian that morning was actually Dylan Swearingen. According to Dylan, Christian called him around 1.30 a.m. and asked him to come down and pick him up in St. Rose. Dylan agreed and Christian said that he needed to be there between 7.45 a.m. and 8 a.m. Dylan said that he left his house around 3.45 to 4 a.m. and he called Christian when he got there. These next couple points I'm going to read are actually from the statement that he gave to police. So he said that Christian came down the hill towards his car and took off his blue work jumpsuit. He told Dylan that he had left work without permission and that the ship's security and the sheriff were notified of this. Christian and Dylan talked like normal for a while and eventually they pulled over to Philip Dylan's truck. When they got back on the interstate, Christian said that he and Whitley were having problems. He told Dylan that he was coming home because Whitley had been hanging out with some boy named Matt Miller. When they pulled up, they could see the BMW Christian got Whitley was in the parking lot. So Christian bought Whitley a BMW? Somewhat. Loosely. I mean, he bought yeah. it He bought it for himself because he said that his truck didn't get good gas mileage. And mm-hmm. then he'd gotten a Jeep. But, um, I mean, he was letting her drive it mm-hmm. when... He was gone. And, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's convenient for yeah. her. I'm mm-hmm. sure she was enjoying that. So according to Dylan, when they walked in the apartment, Christian asked Whitley where she'd been. They'd had trackers on each other's phones and Christian could see that Whitley had spent the night at Matt's house. Christian started to ask Whitley questions about what she was doing there, and Whitley told Christian that she had done Xanax, and she couldn't remember everything she and Matt had done that night. Dylan said he didn't want to interfere with their argument, so he stayed upstairs, and at one point he stuck his head over the stairs and heard Christian saying over and over again, 
do you love me? Then Christian pulled out his gun, cocked it and put it against his head. And he asked Whitley again if she loved him. Whitley said yes and tried to pull the gun away. Dylan then came and was able to take the gun away from Christian and he put it behind a curtain because Christian was quote unquote acting aggressive. So this is again coming from Dylan and we'll we'll get into, you know, there's discrepancies in, in the stories here, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But apparently things calmed down for a little while and they watched a movie. Dylan asked if he and Whitley wanted a moment alone and went to grab some food. Christian gave him his debit card and at that point he told Dylan to grab Chick-fil-A and then take all of the money out of his account. Because yeah, that's something someone ever tells anyone. Right. Makes no sense. Christian had also broken Whitley's phone in a previous argument, so Dylan said he had taken the phone in for repairs. At around 12.30 p.m., Dylan went to the bank and tried to withdraw the money, but they told him that the account holder would have to take the money out, and then he went to Chick-fil-A at around 1.06 p.m., and this is backed up by receipts and security photos. When Dylan got back, everything seemed fine, and they watched another movie. Christian and Whitley left the house to take a ride, and Dylan uh, apparently fell asleep. When he woke up about two hours later, Whitley was sleeping, and Christian was sitting on the couch smoking a cigarette, and Dylan told him he was going to Best Buy to look at some speakers. Before he left, he told Christian that he had hidden the gun, but he gave it back to Christian and told him to unload it and just leave it alone. None of this really makes any sense at all. Like, Why would Dylan give the gun back after he allegedly put it to his head like that i mean what are what are your thoughts on on just those statements that i just just read i know that's a lot yeah yeah just in i mean um well just some things that i'd point out is him saying that he took the gun from christian also gives him an alibi of his fingerprints being on the gun good point if you add up the time frame of his story it would take Mm -hmm. more it would take Mm -hmm. two or three hours more than the time period that they have right um you know i think that he goes on to say they watch another movie so you're talking about you watched two movies you went to best buy you went to all these places you came back you left again you came back um it's not enough time you know in the time period but no one seemed to check out you know the story about the movies and everything or best buy for that matter they didn't find any footage of him at best buy or there was a weird thing with that wasn't there yeah well, Best Buy, they never checked with Best Buy, and and when they did check, Best Buy said that the footage had already been, dis- you know, they only keep it for so much period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, the alibi at Best Buy did not pan out right. um, that he said that he talked to. They said they could not remember if he was there or not. Uh, they talked to several people from Best Buy, and no one could place him there. The story about going to AT&T, um, AT&T does not fix phones. So why would you take it to AT&T yeah. to be fixed? Mm-hmm. That's what Dylan does is fix iPhones and, and hack them or, or crack them or yeah, whatever. Jailbreak jailbreak them and stuff. Yeah, jailbreak them and stuff. Yeah. That yeah. word. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it really didn't make sense. I, uh, you know, Dylan. Where is he taking it to to be fixed? Right. If he's already mm-hmm. capable of doing that himself. And we really, you know, don't think the phone was broken the, to begin with. I mean, we know that, you know, Whitley had a burner phone um, that she's using at the same time as having that phone. There is a voice message that is left on her phone that she listens to. So if her phone was broke, how did she listen to the voice message? If you know, mm-hmm. a, I mean, after supposedly yeah. the phone was broke right. and what? where was the phone? Mm-hmm. The phone, the police didn't get a phone. There was not a broken phone in the apartment. 
I mean, where did the phone go to? Mm-hmm. And nobody's been able to produce the phone. So I really think that she knew or she thought that they would ask for her phone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the phone was broke and he took it somewhere, then that means there's no, you know, it takes right. care of that for mm-hmm. her. Yeah. So then when Dylan supposedly comes back from Best Buy, he knows that Christian wasn't in the living room. So he walks around the apartment calling Christian's name, but there's no answer. Dylan noticed that one of the bathroom lights was on and the door was closed. He figured Christian was just taking a shower. He knocked and asked if Christian was all right, but there was no response. And just there's a lot of a lot of question marks with that. And I mean, you can't hear, you know, you don't know for sure if there's a shower on or you don't know, like you don't go into the doors cracked or like it, mm-hmm. it just when you've heard it. Mm hmm. It's a small apartment too. Like this apartment is very, very small. Any sort of activity going on, it somebody's gonna be able to know what's what's going on in there. So then Dylan walked down to Whitley's room where she was sleeping. He said and told her that they needed to check on him. Whitley went back to sleep, and Dylan went back to knock on the bathroom door. And he asked Christian, "Are you okay?" And again, there is no response. And at that point, Dylan opens the door, and that's when he finds Christian laying face down across the bathtub uh, with. There's a, a pool of blood in the tub. And at that point, Dylan yelled, Whitley, Christian is dead. We have to call 911. Whitley screams, runs upstairs, and starts holding Christian. And Dylan calls 911 at approximately 4.45 p.m. and told them to come to Christian's apartment. Mm, a lot of things don't make sense with that uh, account of events. But we'll, we'll get into that here in a sec. But let's yeah. let's listen to just a, a clip of the 911 call here real quick. Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, for it's very, t- very telling. Ma'am, we've had a suicide. You had a suicide? Yes, ma'am. Okay, what's your address? The Woodland Apartments. Woodland Apartments? What apartment number? Uh, 801. Apartment 801? This one, you'll see a, a BMW in the okay. All right, who is it, sir? Christian Madrocchio. Chris Madrocchio? Yeah. Okay, do you, he's not breathing? No, ma'am. What was your first name? Dylan. Dylan? Yes, ma'am. Okay, Dylan, stay on the phone with me, okay? Okay. So there's many things about the 911 call. Mm-hmm. First first off, I find it very weird that Dylan immediately says, we have a suicide. Yeah. And, like, that's just kind of a bizarre thing to say. Mm-hmm. Like, you already know exactly what happened. You're yeah. just, you're, you're making sure that you're stating the exact event that occurred to 911 instead of i open the bathroom door my friend is on the floor yeah or something he may have shot himself Mm -hmm. i mean there's a lot of other things that you could you could say Mm -hmm. to he's setting that narrative immediately right what's what's your like when you first heard the 911 call what was your like gut reaction to it like well we didn't hear it for a long time because we couldn't get it and um so a lot of information had come out by the time we heard the 911 call and so i guess I already was very cynical in my belief of the 911 call already. Um, But, you know, I just felt like that it was a staged phone call. Um, You know, Whitley sounds very over the top, whatever. Um, But then she cuts it off at one point very abruptly. Mm -hmm. You know, you can hear a phone ringing at one point, which we assume was her burner phone. Um, we actually had a 911 expert 
analyze the 911 call and he you know said he'd testify and state that it was a staged phone call because mm-hmm. of some of the things you've pointed out that we have a suicide when I mean, you're already putting out there right a, an, the narrative a, of right and setting the narrative for because that information is directly going to get related to officers mm-hmm. that are responding and right. if that's what the dispatch is writing mm-hmm. into the the call notes i mean think officers know what they're about to walk into they're right. going to walk in there and the first thing on their mind is going to be a suicide and that's exactly it's very convenient to to mm-hmm. say it in that way and and also the misleading the woodland apartments and it's like that's they're not in the woodland apartments so that's a right. north of where they're at that's that's not even close to to where he's actually at and dylan's been at this at christian's apartment many times he knows how to get there on his own so why conveniently make that mistake and not say the exact right address well and to me just the statement we have a suicide Mm -hmm. that sounds like something yeah i just don't think that we talk that way no No. i mean like if i'm i've just walked in on my best friend and he says you know there's blood everywhere yeah well there wasn't blood everywhere Mm -hmm. but you know he says that so you would be you know i don't know what's happened come quick come quick you know whatever i mean it wouldn't be yeah it wouldn't be we have a suicide i mean to me it was just the way it's worded, it sounds almost military or almost yeah. law enforcement. Yeah, that's right. what I, suicide, that's what I know? think yeah. too. Is like officers would say that yeah. to each other, like right. we have a suicide, totally. or mm-hmm. it's just it's very bizarre. It's a bizarre way to. I think it, any sort of natural response would not include those words. And also, how do you know that he's deceased at that time? If he had shot himself, then perhaps there's a chance mm-hmm. to resuscitate him or. Right. He yeah. may not have a, you know, his injury may not. It's just 100% sure already. Exactly. Just, it's just it's like, odd. this is what it is. And and that's what he's reporting. And then before we get into Whitley's statement to police, let's talk about the actual, the real events that happened leading up to the police arriving to the scene. Because the police don't arrive for a while, um, according to a lot, of, a lot of different things in the evidence and forensics. But also they called family members dylan had family members come to the scene we just kind of just loosely kind of explain that you know what happened there well just going by phone records i mean at 3 30 they start using christian's phone and making multiple phone calls um there's six or seven phone calls to matt miller which is you know whitley calling matt um there's a phone call i think to dylan's mother Mm. So, I mean, there's just, there's multiple phone calls. And keep um, in mind, guys, for listeners, they didn't call 911 until 445. Right. So no one has ever given an explanation of why you're making all these phone calls at 3.30 on Christian's phone and then on, the, on, you know, Dylan on his own phone, but then you don't call for an hour and 15 minutes later. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a huge deal, but nobody's ever asked them. I mean, law enforcement never said... You know, what went on for an hour and 15 minutes or, you know, longer? You know, as time went by and we had a forensic pathologist and different people to get involved, um, we realized that the state of rigor that Christian was in was so advanced that, you know, he's saying that he would have had to have been healed as soon as he walked in the door, you know, Mm. 11, 30, 12 o'clock. The EMTs have backed up that he was in advanced stages of rigor. Mm. Lagoy, the the police detective that was first on scene, he has um, said that you know the it was obvious that the time of death and things did not occur as they said they occurred. We know that family members arrived before or just as 
Um, the police were there. Um, there was numerous family members, uh, you know, Dylan's mother, Dylan's grandfather, Dylan's mother's boyfriend, Whitley's mother, Whitley's aunt, um, you know, probably. Which is just bizarre. Yeah. It just makes no sense. Well, it's bizarre. And then you have to think and what, you know, again, kind of makes me really sad or upset about it is that, you know, nobody was there for Christian. This was all these people, yeah. all these family members that were against, I mean, not against him because yeah. at that time, but they'll later become against him. Right. And mm-hmm. so he had nobody there that was for him, you yeah. know, and nobody called us. They didn't I mean, think, all yeah. these, all these family members, everybody, mm-hmm. and nobody said, well, you know, we need to tell Christian's mother. We need to tell her mm-hmm. father, you know, if you don't like me. Well, yeah. everybody liked Todd. I mean, he called yeah. Todd. I mean, everybody gets, gets along with Todd. And it was different um, back then, too. Yeah. I mean, right. why wouldn't you have that concern for your friend? I mean, mm-hmm. it shows their intentions were to bring people in to help them mm-hmm. and protect them. Their concerns were about themselves and not Christian. Right, right. And and so it it um they they were there, and they, they kept that hidden for a long time. There, It was never mentioned in a police narrative that— there was yeah, family members convenient. there. Yeah, it was never, um, you know, it was really by chance that we found out um, that they were there. And then when you started asking, it became more and more people that we found out, you know, had kind of congregated there, mm-hmm. I guess, waiting uh, to, until, you know, to see what was going to happen. Yeah. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go through just some of the immediate events that happened, you know, once the police arrived to the apartment. So a police officer arrives finds Whitley crying inside. When he goes to check the bathroom, he finds Christian again lying over the tub with a gunshot wound on the right side of his head. The officer called another detective, which which you just referenced, to the apartment. EMTs and the other detective arrived at 5.08 p.m. and the coroner arrived at 5.28 p.m. They found a decocked gun inside the bathroom, which was really odd for a supposed suicide case. Why is a gun cocked? They also saw that Christian's arms and legs were sitting outside the tub, but his head and upper body were inside of the tub. And the gun was wedged between the bathtub and his left thigh. There was a bullet encasing in the bathtub as well. But Christian was right-handed, right? Right. So this physically doesn't make any sense. Why would it be under his thigh for one? But And how? His upper just... thigh. There's just There would be no way possible for that to happen. There was also police chief Lee, who actually lived in Christian's apartment complex. And at the time of Christian's death, he wasn't on duty. Some people at the scene reported seeing Chief Lee there. However, there's no official record of this, and he was not recording uh, using a body cam, but he was at the scene from all accounts, correct? Correct. So allegedly, after about 40 minutes of police work, Chief Lee came down to the scene and told them to shut it down. And never once did they even consider that this is potentially a crime scene. They didn't treat it as such. I mean, there's people everywhere. And I mean, just. When you heard that he just said shut it down, what what did you think about this? Like, well, again, we didn't find out about that till later, till he was actually gone. It was the short period of time after that that he was um, asked to leave, mm-hmm. and he you know moved from Meridian. So it wasn't until the next police chief um, Dubose is that when Dubose told us yeah. that um, I went met with Chief Lee just maybe two weeks after. Um, this occurred and of course that was never mentioned uh, and just basically was asking him to please investigate you know at this point I'm new to this world of 
you know, investigation. And so I real know still I really still thought that the police would do the right thing. I'd never really been involved with law enforcement. Yeah. And so, you know, but he was very blunt about that he was not going to investigate and it was a suicide and end of story and I needed to go home and accept it. It was pretty much what he told me. I'm sure it was at that point that you realized that the police were not going to help you in this and just is that when you kind of realize I'm, I'm going to have to to take this on myself and try to get to the bottom of, of what happened yes i mean that's when we started kind of sitting down and trying to think about what we needed to do and you know kind of what direction but again we didn't really know what we were doing mm-hmm. you know we can look back now and think of all the things we right. should have done right yeah um but at that time we were just kind of stumbling around in the dark and hoping that this person was going to be honest and do the right thing and Mm -hmm. you know and then they wouldn't do the right thing and then we'd go on to the next person Mm -hmm. and it was probably you know it took it it was probably six nine months before it finally just really sunk in that Mm -hmm. nobody's going to do anything i mean we're going to have to take you know on all of them because nobody's going to do anything there was no investigation i mean they they literally didn't even question anybody they took statements from Whitley and Dylan, which I, I read through Dylan's statement. I'll read through Whitley's here in a second. But they didn't interview anybody formally, didn't have any sort of, you know, sit down with them and like, let's actually see if timelines match up, you know, see if you can catch them in their lies. And they had a lot of time to get their story straight and to sort of, you know, try to line things up in a way that to them made sense. But ultimately, the police completely just just failed. I failed at their job, quite honestly. I mean, to come in and just say, this is a suicide, wrap it up. And and that's it. It's just absurd. I mean, in any other situation, I, I think there's enough suspicion. And if you just sat down and questioned them and, and talked to the people who were there before the police got there to Whitley and Dylan, that it would be very apparent early on that mm-hmm. we need to do some more digging and we need to investigate this further because this just doesn't make sense. And obviously the forensics speak for themselves. And let, let's talk, let's talk about the, the forensics just for a moment. Cause there was no, none done on the scene initially by police at all. They did virtually did, did nothing to even make sure that the suicide narrative even fits with the scene. They just, there's a gun. He's Christian's dead. That's suicide. And there's just so many things that don't make sense, which we just referenced, but what things stuck out to you the most? Well, I mean, they didn't even, going back to what you said about not investigating, they didn't even get that picture that you had of him at the bank. I mean, I went down mm-hmm. there and got the picture at the bank. They yeah. didn't pull the audio. They didn't pull the video, you know, whatever. Um, and I, I gave them that picture. And then to add insult to injury, um, probably a year later, they asked me, could they get another copy of it because they <laughs> couldn't find the copy I had given them. Um, wow. So they... Um, I think the the biggest thing to me as far as why they should have viewed it as something other than a suicide was the fact that he went and tried to get his money out of the bank. You mm-hmm. had it on camera, mm-hmm. you know, and the gun, the gun right. being um, decocked and um, on his the wrong side. Yeah, so. it's just it's it's crazy to me that and and again, there's there was some police work done later on from some of the Meridian uh, detectives. But I mean, just from having no law enforcement background at all. And I think most Mm -hmm. people when looking, when you actually see crime scene photos and you look 
how everything, what the bathroom looked like. It just doesn't make sense at all. There's, it's clear, there's clearly tampering. There's clearly stuff was moved, stuff was taken. I mean, the position of the body makes, makes no sense. You were telling us earlier about the door. Josh realized that the door wouldn't have been able to be opened or it would have actually moved his feet. Right, right. I mean, again, as time goes on and you think and think and think and you come up with, with other things, and Josh is, is very analytical, mm-hmm. and um, he took the picture of the bathroom, the picture that has Christian, you know, over the bathtub in the bathroom, and he counted the tiles, number of floor tiles, and where Christian's feet were on the floor tiles, mm-hmm. and then made a diagram of the bathroom and then the swing of the door. The door would not have been able to have been opened. I mean, yeah. we've always said the door was open to begin with because it would have pushed his feet to the side. Right. Um, so that when, you know, they found him, his feet would have been to the side. Um, also, one of his feet is kind of propped up on the other foot, and that would have knocked it down, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, It almost looks propped, like mm-hmm. somebody propped right. him up. To be in that position naturally from, if it was... You know, a right. suicide, it just, it would be impossible to, to end up like that. And then the bullet itself, too, that made no sense to me. The bullet and casing are in the tub. Clearly, somebody moved that. It wasn't where it should have been. Um, I mean, there's just, there's just so many things. And then to not even do a blood spatter analysis or even try to confirm that it was a suicide by actually taking the you know, the forensic measurements and testing mm-hmm. and all of these other things that we have available to or, to or see you would if think there was would have any cleanup, you know, and then they clearly would have mm-hmm. had the time. I mean, if it's true based on rigor that he passed sometime between 11, 12, something like that, they would have had plenty of time to do several different things. And we know that they did. I mean, the police knew from Dylan's statement that he had cleared the bank account and that wasn't even didn't seem to be an issue for them or strike them as a huge red flag i mean in Mm -hmm. any other case that would just stand out immediately and you'd question their story um also i wanted to kind of go over christian had never seemed suicidal to any of your family um to taylor his best friend had never heard anything like that in fact he had made statements to you in the past that because he had witnessed another friend um not witnessed but he had been around when someone had committed suicide and he he told you you know i would never do that so when you heard this news what were was it something that you couldn't even process it didn't even make any sense yeah i think that you know the first couple of days or whatever i mean you're just dealing with your child's gone right i mean you know what i'm saying is that yeah. you're not even really i mean looking back i must have immediately you know, kind of started setting things in motion because I called my brother and told him, go and get his phone. I mean, this was yeah. the night of within. I said, because she's going to take his phone. Yeah. And sure enough, she had his phone. So I said, something make was sure. There. Yeah. I said, make sure that you get his phone, make sure you get the keys to his Jeep, the keys mm-hmm. to his car. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and she had had his phone and lied about it, lied to police and yep. said she didn't have it. But, um, I, I mean, it just immediately, mm-hmm. again, when kind of you the shock wears off, I never, I mean, it's never been a suicide to me. And it's not yeah. because, you know, people try to say, well, she's just a mother and she doesn't want to accept her child yeah. killed himself. Yeah. You know, um, you know, some people will say it's because that I'm to blame. <laughs> um, but that was just never in, 
I mean, was Christian struggling in that relationship? Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, did he have a lot going on in his life he was dealing with? Again, no question. Mm-hmm. Did he have things going on that I didn't even know about? Again, no question he did. But um, he's just not the type to give up. I mean, he had future orientation. He was making plans mm-hmm. I mean, that morning. Yeah. I had called him and we talked about going to a concert. You know, he said, let me check my schedule. I'll get back with you, see what days, you know, I can go. Um, He's planning to go back to the boat. Right. I mean, he, I would think that if you had that in your mind, you wouldn't have gone to the trouble. And knowing Christian, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't have left them short, if that makes sense. Like knowing he wasn't going to come back meant that guy was going to be stuck. Right. And if he had been thinking of something like that, he would have just said, I'm Mm -hmm. quitting. I'm not coming back because Mm -hmm. then they would have known he's not coming back. But he didn't do that. He Mm -hmm. made plans. I'll be back by this time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the reason why he didn't get Justin to come get him was because, you know, Justin was home on his two weeks. Christian knows how important that two weeks is to you. And he, you know, it was like, I don't want to pull you away from your family. Yeah. Um, you know, even if it's only four or six hours or nine hours or whatever. So, you know, he thought about how things impacted other people Mm -hmm. and he didn't just think about himself. And so I just, you know, that just never entered my mind. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that we had had that conversation and he had said, you know, if anybody ever says I killed myself, you come looking, mom, because I didn't do it. And, um, you know, so it was just too many things. And then just knowing I mean, I obviously was very suspicious of Whitley because I had somebody watching the apartment. That's not a normal mom thing to do. (laughs) I I will admit that. Did I think that he would end up dead over that? No, that never entered my mind. But I, um, you know, I had a lot of concern about the relationship. I mean, I felt that she was very dangerous in a different way to him mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah. again i never never in my mind to that, that, that to that extent yeah um it was more you know i didn't like seeing people taking advantage of him i didn't right. like knowing that he was working 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 and mm-hmm. sacrificing as far as being gone from home for right. so long periods of time mm-hmm. and then you know you're being treated this way right and it is causing you a lot of distress mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know you should have somebody who you know they're at home waiting for you <laughs> yeah you just and, uh, you're right and that you don't that's one less worry on your mind yeah you know because yeah. christian was very young to be in the position he was in and um you know i really didn't know the responsibility he had in his job and we had gone out to eat just he and i one day and i said something about having to terminate somebody and i said i hate terminating people and I said, I usually just put up with their behavior as long as I can because I don't want, you know, to have to fire somebody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, I do it all the time. I mean, he was 20 at this time. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, what? And he said, he said, I mean, I have to fire men all the time. And he said, some of them are 30 and 40 years old. He said, how do you think I feel? I'm sitting here 20 years old telling the 35-year-old, you got to yeah. go, get off the boat. That's got to be really And hard. so, you know, I didn't, you know, realize a lot of the responsibilities that he had that again a 20 year old wasn't usually and when you're one of the youngest people on the boat and everybody else is a lot older than you and does have a family and does have kids and Mm -hmm. everything it you know you it does put you know put him in a kind of a difficult situation sometimes yeah so i'm going to circle back to whitley's statement to police because 
it also makes no sense and it's a lot shorter than Dylan's was actually. So again, police just ask them for statements. This is not like a formal questioning or anything like that. They're just allowed to tell their story of what happened from their perspective. And this is what Whitley said. So Whitley told police that she went to a Mardi Gras party with her family on the night of the 22nd and Christian had stopped talking to her that day around one when he left for his hitch. They didn't talk for two days, and when she finally got a hold of him, he said that he didn't want Whitley going out without him. Whitley said that they had a lot of trust issues, and she debated whether or not to break up with him. On the night of the 25th, Christian told her he was coming home and quitting his job. Whitley said they needed to talk and work things out. But didn't his boat mom, Cheryl, say that he was going back to end things with Whitley? That was what she had heard him say to her, that he was going to go home to end things. The morning of the 26th, Christian came home early and he and Whitley went for a ride. Christian told her that he couldn't make anyone happy, including her and his mom. They came home and Whitley took a nap with her dog in their bedroom. Dylan woke her up and told her Christian was dead. Yeah, let's just yeah. stop there for a second. First of all, I think it's strange that the first day that he's home and they have all this turmoil going on that she would choose to take a nap. That just seems like an odd activity for her to be spending her time doing it's too convenient it's just too a nap is such a like easy easy way to be like oh well i wasn't aware of anything right it's It's out of reality yeah it's a way to to remove yourself from you know what's actually happening meanwhile according to them there is a gunshot and how on earth is she going to sleep through that gunshot i mean that's just been questioned by so many people so many experts have said there is just no way that she wouldn't have heard that wouldn't have woken up for her to just be woken up by Dylan and then the phone call, I mean, to go straight into that is just the way it plays out and the way they've tried to have it play out is just so suspicious. His gun was a forty-five caliber too, which is a I mean, that's a pretty pretty large pistol. So you would hear that gunshot a couple apartments down. I mean, that's a loud absolutely a loud sound that's going off. And again, People say, well, she was on Xanax, so perhaps Xanax kept her asleep. But then again, Dylan was, you know, she was in such a deep Xanax slumber. Then, you know, why was Dylan able to wake her up so quickly? It's hard to believe even, especially with how much she seemed to take Xanax. She was used to it. It's not like this was her first time ever being. Right, exactly. That's a great point that, yeah, probably had some tolerance to it. But anyway, she says she went upstairs and she found, quote unquote, the love of her life face down in a bathtub quote-unquote, swooshed up into a puddle of blood. She said she hugged Christian's waist and held his hand, and she thought Christian killed himself because he thought she didn't love him back. Whitley also said that she was on Xanax at the time of the incident. That's why she slept through the gunshot. And the detective asked Whitley if Christian had ever talked about hurting himself, and Whitley said that she didn't think so. So, I mean, she even says herself that... there's Yeah, there's no one that has said Mm -hmm. that Christian ever told them that he was you know, considering that or would hurt himself or, you know, harm himself in any way, let alone actually take his life. So I want to, I want to ask you, and just, just because this is, this is a, a theory that's put out there by some people in the Meridian Police Department too, that perhaps this wasn't suicide. It wasn't homicide. Is it possible this was accidental based on what Dylan says he was holding the gun to his head is it possible he accidentally shot himself? What I just want to, I'm curious to know what you think of, of that. Well, I think that even, I mean, again, it goes back to if it was an accident, 
they want it and they call the police and say an accident occurred. Yeah. But, Why lie but about that? You stage yeah. a scene. You you know, you still are having to position a gun and, and you know, do things and it, I mean, I just always go back to the thing of why lie. If it yeah. is as straightforward as whatever, why yeah. lie? And every single person involved in this has lied mm-hmm. about numerous things. And I mean, it, it, that can be a proven fact. That's not my opinion or my whatever. I mean, yeah. it can be proven with phone records or with, you know, just different uh, conflict and stories that's yeah. been told. And um, no, I've never really thought that that, that, that was, uh, I do know that there is, several that have put that out there but again i think that their narrative has had to change to fit the forensics that came out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know they it went from he was leaning over the bathtub and he shot himself yeah. and then when forensics came out that yeah. negated that then it was oh okay he was sitting on the commode right, and there right. was a struggle over the gun then it became well then why did he end up like this and then their next thing was well what because whitley was hugging him, that he fell over into the bathtub. And it doesn't, every theory they come out with doesn't explain, Mm-mm. you know, why you waited four hours, five hours to call the police, call 911. Why, I mean, all the different things. Go, why did you go to the bank? Why did you right. call your family well, and members? I think, mm-hmm. and the more I've thought about it too, I'm like, there's just the actions after, you know, after the, the, the shooting occurs, the actions afterwards don't make any sense or line up with the accidental theory. Because again, what, you know, if it was mm-hmm. accidental, that must have been shocking for both of them to witness that. If that's a, yeah. what had happened, they would have said something. You would have reacted differently and your events most likely would have changed had that been the case, right? You would have, mm-hmm. you know, the, the 911 call probably would have been different. It would have been, you know, there would have been my friend accidentally shot himself right. yeah. as opposed to more backstory or we don't know what happened right we don't know what happened we just yeah. came in there and he, you know yeah. this is what we found and just you know there's clearly other motives there too i mean going to try to withdraw money from the account and mm-hmm. and you know just some of the the other things i think like you said I, I, it really comes down to why why lie about something like mm-hmm. that like do you think is it possible they're thinking that if they if they don't lie about this then are they going to be held for other crimes that they may have committed after the accidental shooting occurred, you know, moving him or it's taking things from him. And that's why they're trying to, but then again, it's like, that's much more serious. You know, you're only incriminating yourself more if you, if you come out and say that, I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, based on forensics, it, I mean, if you go strictly by forensics and what that shows, you know, it makes whoever, whatever happened and whoever, you know, pull the trigger, whoever you want to say. It it makes it a very, in my opinion, a very sick, devious act because, you know, they went and got food yeah. and brought food back and ate. And mm-hmm. they, I mean, who does that? Yeah. Who, you know, they sat around. I mean, if you really put mm-hmm. yourself like thinking, okay, I'm sitting in this apartment and this has happened. Yeah. They sat there and they, I mean, they had to clean up. And if this mm-hmm. is really the love of your life and your best friend, I mean, you had to have moved him a couple of times, probably. Mm-hmm. You had to, you know what I'm saying? I yeah. mean, that, yeah. To, yeah. to know that you that alone took rags is, or mm-hmm. washcloths mm-hmm. or whatever. And you, I mean, even if it was a total stranger, that yeah. would be hard to do. Right. But this is somebody who, you know, that you knew, who, mm-hmm. you know, you've been in a relationship with. Mm-hmm. 
who's been so generous yeah. to you, and then to go and steal from him. Right. So, it, you know, when you put yourself in that mindset, that's what makes me think that, you know, it takes a really calculating person yeah. to do that. Even, yeah. even again, if it was an accident. I mean, even if it yeah. was an accident, how can it even be an a- and sit there and say that you did all those things? Right. And you came up with a story. And then you not only did all that, but then you turned around and accused the family. I mean, if I had done something like that and I had come up with this story, I mm-hmm. would have stayed quiet, not pointed any fingers and played poor, you know, oh, poor family. Yeah. I'm so sorry for them. Yeah. They did just if the opposite. Smart, yeah. I mean, they were very vindictive. They were Defensive, very, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And why? Right. Unless you're, you have something to hide or. And so everything that would be considered normal behavior to me, to, yeah. <laughs> they did the exact opposite. Yeah. And, um, you know, the picking on Alexa, the, just really bullying her really over the years. Yeah. Can you explain um, that a little more? Well, just, you know, after all of this, um, again, this is when they didn't even really know that we were investigating because for the first couple of years, other than going to the police department, I mean, a lot of people didn't know that we were continuing to push and push and push. And, you know, Whitley would get some of her friends to text Alexa or to harass her and, and, it's your fault your brother killed himself. It's your, now we had to press charges on um, and get a restraining order on um, someone because, you know, they, she was in the middle of the lake swimming and they come up and start telling her that Christian, you know, killed himself because of her. He didn't love her. And this, you know, this went on for years, not just, not that it should have ever gone on, but I mean, it wasn't just like immediately. It was like this went on for a long time. And, you know, I think it shaped Alexa when you're when you're young and you have all this, you become very, you know, you either have to do one or two things. You either have to become a very, you know, coward, you know, you have to kind of cower down. Isolate. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you had to fight back. Mm-hmm. And Alexa took, you know, she fought back and she would give it back to them if they said something, you know. So um, I think it made her into this kind of confrontational female that she gets sometimes criticized for. Mm -hmm. But I think that shaped her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how can it not? I mean, that's just such a big thing. Like, what was it like when you, like, you were out to dinner, right, when you got the the news? We just were told something bad had happened. That's right, yeah. We didn't know. I mean, we, uh, even then, we didn't think, like, somebody died. We were just thinking they'd been hurt. Yeah, we got to get along. They just said something bad has happened, and we were kind of going through the, you know, the kids. Well, we know it's not Alexa. She's at church. It was mm-hmm. a Wednesday night, and she was at church. And, you know, it. I re- we really was worried it was Josh because Josh had not been working on the boat for very long. We, was, mm-hmm. we knew he was out on the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we knew Christian was out on the boat. And so um, I had talked to Christian that morning, and so we were afraid that Josh had been hurt on the boat. Um, so we went, you know, all the way to Delwood, and they had contacted my husband's father instead of us. Right. And so he was calling us, telling us, you know, you need to come home, but he didn't want to tell us over the phone what had happened. And then, you know, when he told me there at his house, I mean, I literally stood up, got my purse, and said, we're going to the house. They don't know what they're talking about because I had talked to Christian that morning, and he was in New Orleans. And I even said, I said, it's just some boy that Alexa had. Um, that Whitley had at the apartment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I just thought that, quite frankly, she was messing around with some guy at the apartment. Mm-hmm. And 
Probably some I shot confused. him. You know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Somebody shot him. Yeah. And because he was at their apartment, right. they just thought it They're was like, Christian. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, they didn't give us any details. It's not like they said that Whitley was there. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's not yeah, like they said. All, yeah. What was actually going right. on at the scene. Yeah. Then the police came to our house and told us, and I told them the same thing. I said, it's not him. I said, he's on the boat. And then they gave me his driver's license and said, you know, is this your son? And even then, I didn't, I sent Chris. I called Chris and said, go to the apartment and see if this is Christian. I don't think this is Christian. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of that was denial after seeing the, the driver's license. But, um, it, again, it was just a lot of, I think, uh, immediately because of the relationship, I thought something had gone wrong, mm-hmm. you know. Um, something was not right as far as them saying it was a suicide. So then... Chris goes down to the police police station where Dylan and Whitley were taken to to give their statements because you like you said earlier you wanted Chris to get the phone and the car keys um, so Whitley wouldn't take off with them. The police told Christian's uncle Chris that they didn't have the keys or Christian's phone, but he could go back to the apartment and look for them. Chris didn't want to, and he asked them if it was still a crime scene. The police said no, and that they were done there. Which I'm sure Chris was like, "What do you mean you're done there already?" The police were able to give Christian's uncle the BMW keys, but when they asked for the phone, Whitley told police she didn't know where it was. Christian's uncle wasn't going to leave until he had the phone back, and when the police told Whitley she couldn't leave until they got it back, that's when Whitley reached into her purse and handed over the phone. So, already lying, just consistently lying from from the very moment that this all happens. But the coroner determined that Christian's cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head, and his time of death was 3.45 p.m., but the manner of death was listed as undetermined instead of homicide or suicide. And it was the next day that the medical examiner ruled his death a suicide. The next day after this happened. That's good. They, so they had it undetermined for less than 24 hours before mm-hmm. they just said it was a suicide. What information did you have at that point when you found out that the... Did you find out that the coroner had ruled it undetermined initially? Or did you find that out later? Not immediately. I mean, it was probably three or four weeks um, before we found out, I think. I mean, it may have been a little earlier, but I mean, it wasn't immediately. And autopsy report, we we got about four, five, six weeks afterwards because it took a little bit for them to get the report. And, um, you know, she had in there, he had a history of depression. And so that immediately caused us, you know, my thing was, how does she, where'd that come from? from? Because number one, he didn't have a history of depression. He had never been on antidepressants. He had never been to counseling. He had never voiced to anybody that he was suicidal. And how would she know that anyway? I mean, other than doing a tox screen and an antidepressant showing up in your system, right, right. which there was none. There's no way to pull that right. information. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and we still don't know where she got. I mean, of course, the theory is, is that she went by Whitley's statement where Whitley said that he had a history of depression and, you know, um, heard it somewhere right. and just mm-hmm. wrote it into the report. Right. Mm-hmm. It's almost too convenient to just right. put that in there. Yeah. And then the very next day, change it to suicide yeah. when there's so many other things that weren't even examined prior to determine that it was a suicide. Well, and, and I mean, I think that in, in my opinion, someone do a autopsy, whatever forensic pathologist should not in her. I mean, he died of a gunshot wound to his head. That's right. his cause of death. Right. His cause of death. Again, how can she determine? Mm-hmm. And, and that was, you know, our Dr. Arden, who is the forensic pathologist we got, that was his argument. He said, you know, she can't say 
who pulled the trigger. All she can say is he died of a gunshot wound to the head. Right. And um, an autopsy won't show who pulled the trigger. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know, unless you have just flat out proof, there was a node or something, whatever. And um, there was a case that that same pathologist did that went to trial, which similar situation, except it was the female um, that was shot. And she testified, and it was a couple of years after Christian's death, and I had wondered if she had learned anything because she testified that all she could say was it was a gunshot wound to the head. Mm. And it was a very similar situation, but in that situation, the victim actually had a history of suicide attempts and had and was on antidepressants. Mm. And she, but in her situation, her cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head. Mm. Wow. So majorly inconsistent Mm -hmm. there. How did you guys find Dr. Arden? Well, we initially tried to get Dr. Biden, but he is a very difficult man (laughs) to get in touch with. really? And yes, I'm not very pleasant when I did get in touch with him because he was just, he's so well known. You know, why I knew that he would be, he was like the leading authority. Um, But I think that I just like, Googled a list of the top forensic pathologists in the United States, and I wanted it to be like one of the top, yeah, one of the best, yeah. so that nobody could question right, the results. Right. Yeah. And um, he was in the top 10. And so I, and then when I, we looked into his resume as far as, you know, he had worked, he had been the um, medical examiner in Washington, D.C., and he did the sniper shooting there, and he yep. worked on some very high-profile high profile. cases yeah. and been actual the medical examiner. I thought that, you know, and he, he was just very well-respected, and so we contacted him, and he actually, you know, I never spoke to Dr. Arden, which I think is a good thing in that he wants to keep it a layer. Yeah, independent. Right. From- he Like, he doesn't want to get involved with the family's emotions, which Be I totally could, because what if yeah. he— says something we don't like you know yeah so he only um communicates through the attorney so you know yeah yeah, i mean and i totally respected that and so you know cynthia uh, our attorney contacted him and he agreed to take the case and then you know there were a couple of conference calls which we could sit in on but she had to be there you know and so he would he discussed his findings and everything um but he's he was a very nice guy Mm mm-hmm and so one thing he's been absolutely adamant about, and he stated in the four, the most recent coverage, which was the 48 Hours mm-hmm. episode, is that he's confident that the scene was staged. Mm-hmm. What are the other things that he has come to find by looking at over everything that stand out to you? We have a couple written down here, but was there what was most telling about his report to you? Well, the most telling would be the rigor, the advanced stages of rigor, which, you know, kind of um, gives you a timeline. You can, you know, there's no way, I mean, that doesn't lie. I mean, you know, uh, the the temperature of a room or Mm -hmm. something like that could slightly, but not enough to... Um, you know, by, by hours. to the point right, to where it right. was at. I mean, yeah. and when I say slightly, we're talking like yeah. <laughs> minutes, not yeah. hours. Um, so without a shadow be- of a doubt, we know that the time of right. death had to be earlier mm-hmm. than they reported it. Right, right, yeah. I mean, he said 12 o'clock was pushing it mm. for it to be in that level, that that um, state, Even advanced that state, yeah. yeah. So probably earlier. Right. And then the lividity that was, you know, on the back, because you have to be in that position there, that position it has to be in contact with something for the blood to settle Mm -hmm. in that area 
And so he had lividity um, on his back and a place on his back and then on his calf, which would mean he would have had to have been on his back. Yeah. Yeah. At some um, point for us, you know, oh, not wow. just a short period of time, mm-hmm. but a significant period of time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, those two things were really the most telling. Yeah. Cause it doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. It, it proves that his body was moved. And it proves that the events that Whitley and Dylan said happened are untrue and that the events, things happened on a totally different timeline than what was given to police. And had police actually investigated, you know, what had actually occurred that day, they would have maybe, I don't know what the, the their skill set, I don't know if they would have ever came to the right conclusion, but mm-hmm. the the timeline would have been dramatically different than what was actually reported and what they put into the actual case file. Um, and time of death and all these other things that don't match up with what the people who are last with him said. And at that point, there's your investigation. I mean, that that gives you all you need to know to go and figure out what actually happened. They're lying about the timeline. Well, why are they lying about the timeline? Why aren't we going, why aren't we digging deeper to figure out what actually happened? And that's just the, that's just the most mind blowing thing about all of this is that they didn't even get anywhere near to, to getting that point. They had already and I'm just like, why? Like, why did they not? Is it was? It, do you think it's sheer incompetence of the police department, or do you think it was Chief Lee and hit what he did at the scene that stopped all of this? I'm mean, it just, it's hard to wrap your head around. Well, the only reason why I think it's not sheer incompetence is because in the narrative with Lagoy that Arrington did, you know, Lagoy says in that interview, who Lagoy was the first officer there, that the time of death wasn't right. Well, it didn't line up with the story that Whitley and them was telling and that he states that he there's advanced stage of rigor and he states that the blood is drying around the bathtub. Yeah. And so, you know, all that takes time. And so this couldn't have been something that happened in the last 45 right. minutes or hour, you know. Like basic um, knowledge. Right. That, yeah. And so it makes me think that more that they were told not to do anything, mm-hmm. but because mm-hmm. it's like he noticed all this stuff and he questioned it himself, but he didn't follow through, you know, because I guess, number one, he wasn't assigned the case. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, it just seems like everybody was told to stop, to yeah. don't do anything. They thought it was just exactly what it appeared, I guess, to. I don't I'm just like, why stop, yeah. though? Why'd they stop? Like, what what was that force that made them stop and why? Well, no one knows for sure. Yeah. yeah. But yeah yeah, I, and again, I don't know that it was incompetence, not to say, you know, I'm not saying they're the most competent, but I don't know that it was just utter sheer yeah, yeah. competence. I, like I think it was more that there was someone behind the scenes that wanted it to be a suicide mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. didn't want it to be looked into and determined to be anything but a suicide. Right. So the police did not do any luminal testing. However, Knox and Associates, which is a group that does crime scene reconstructions actually did. And they picked up blood that looked like it had been cleaned up. Right. Which would make total and sense. And you guys paid for and and had them come in, right? Right. I mean, we made the police department aware because I, I really wanted them to be involved so that they would, you know, feel like they were part of the process and yeah. they couldn't sit there and go, oh, well, they probably didn't do it right. Or they didn't, you know, there'd be some way to discount it. And I, you know, made them aware well, I first asked them if they would do it. I mean, they they said that would if they would get a yeah someone who knew what they were doing right, and they said no, they didn't have that in their budget that they would just 
get somebody on, you know, go down there and do it, you know. Right. Watch a YouTube video right. and figure out. And it's out kind of like, it. but yeah. have you ever done this before? Yeah. yeah and yeah. they were like, yeah. well, no, mm. but, you know. Whatever. Yeah. And so I was like, well, no, because then I can't trust the the findings. And so I told them, you know, I will pay for this and get these people to come. You know, they knew all about them. They had talked to them, told them, you know, this is the day they're going to be there. This is the time I'd like for some somebody to be there from the police department they said that they would check with their supervisor to see if they could come, and then nobody showed up mm. or wasn't present. I mean, Knox and Associates did the testing, and those results were given to the police department. But it was just there was no response from the police department at all. Mm. Did they even acknowledge that you had given them the report? Nobody's ever um, commented as far as from law enforcement wow. on the That's on the. Um, that's actually probably around the time their story kind of changed about what happened because it had to. I mean, you know, that's what I'm saying that their narrative changed. I mean, they were dead set that Christian shot himself over the bathtub. No, no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Here's the ricochet of the bullet, which didn't make sense. And here's whatever. Then as things would come out, it'd be like, oh, well, well, yeah, this, now this is what happened. So they were, they would respond in that way. Mm -hmm. They would, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, now we, now that, you know, they wouldn't say this, but now that we've seen this report and this evidence, they're like, we've got to kind of alter things internally to, make it make sense with this new information that i mean it was always uh you know i I can understand one coincidence i know there's going to be things that happen that nobody can explain but in christian's case there's multiple cases that things cannot be explained and so you can't have that many coincidences you know even with the gun you know trent weeks with mbi um you know he said well the gun malfunctions sometimes that's why the gun was decocked well, actually, that gun rarely mal- malfunctions, and I've spoken to numerous gun collectors and people who are very familiar with that gun, and they don't—they say it's one of the most reliable guns there is. But let's just say it did malfunction. How did it get over to left side? Right. You Why know, is it yeah. in that position? So, I mean, yeah. now you got two anomalies, you know, and mm-hmm. then it became some kind of explanation that wasn't even physically possible. Well, it bounced off the floor and bounced yeah. up. Well, I mean, it's not a trampoline mm, floor. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not going to mm. just bounce up off a, a heavy gun. Right. It was always some kind of excuse about why, you know, this, well, that this is, it was, this rarely happens, but it happened this time. Mm-hmm. So. Which is too convenient to yeah. accept. I mean, so the, and the case is closed too. And that doesn't, that doesn't help that you're submitting, you know, there's not anybody, was there anybody actively you were communicating with at the police department on the case? Or was it like when you were submitting the Knox Associates report and stuff, was there somebody you are giving this to that was like, I'll add it to the case file or I'll show it to the right people? At that time, Jerry Bratto, he had been hired to do cold cases. Okay. And so he was the one that I was communicating with. And then after him, it was Arrington was assigned. And he's he was the last person who he doesn't work for the Marine Police Department anymore, but he was the last person who actually actively worked on it. Okay. So they were get, they were reviewing the reports that you were giving them. Well, they were, yeah, they were, were they getting s- them. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. If they were, I don't right. know if they were reviewing yeah. them, and they were making them into the file because Knox's report and the Luminol photo was in the case file. So you know, they they received them. They had them. Okay. So since we were talking about the gun, let's let's kind of go back and let's talk about yeah. um, gun night, gun night, and just what the police did. So the police decided to test Christian Whitley and Dylan for gunshot residue (GSR). 
But before they even tested Whitley, she told them, I'm going to test positive for gunshot residue. And the reason she said this was because the night before she had shot off some guns into the woods with her friends, Jet, Matt, and Zach. And like I just said, this night has been known as gun night ever since. However, Where did that term come from, gun night? I think culpable. Kind of turned yeah. it okay. gun night because okay. I think I that's curious. what they named their episode, gun night. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. I see. So, and now it's possible that other people were there outside of those people we just mentioned as well. Right. Not necessarily that participated in shooting guns but was mm-hmm. at the house what yeah that has come out that mm-hmm. at least one one other person has been named and you know we still think there was another person there okay so can you say it's confirmed that that gun night occurred or is it still where we can't prove either way let's just say we know gun night did not occur like they say it occurred okay but you don't think it was something that was just made up to cover for the, the gunshot residue? I don't know. No, I'm not going to say that. I do okay. think it could have be a made-up story um, just yeah, to say, really you know, I'll have way. gunshot residue on my hands. Because they mm-hmm. all came back positive. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't know if she had shot a gun mm-hmm. at gun night or not officially. Because um, Matt told the police that Whitley did not shoot the gun that night. Mm-hmm. But Jeff said she did. She says she did. So it's just kind of been this There's a thing lot of that, conflicting, yeah, conflicting right. information. Would have been there. great if there was more questioning about all of that to begin with. Right. I also just wanted to clarify what Culpable is. It's another podcast that did an excellent job covering the case, worked extensively with you. Um, they've had even more episodes come out recently with more up-to-date information, kind of more speculative going over things. Um, so we'll have that linked below. Those guys are great. They also dive into a lot more, like a lot of the names that we're naming here, they dive into a lot more detail. Yeah. And there's a lot there's a lot of interviews with specific people that are mentioned uh, throughout our episode here. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you really want to dive into this deep, Colville is a great place to uh, to take a look at, you know, their podcast. And they go into everything in a lot more depth and detail. I think there's like 20 plus hours of of content there. Um, so we'll put that we'll put that out there for you guys. Yeah, we did have someone to look at who is kind of an expert in, um, I guess, trace evidence type things. And he he brought up the point that, but I mean, there's no dispute that there was gunshot residue on Christian's hands because he was there. Uh, No matter who shot the gun, he was there. And um, he was saying that some of the particles that show up that would be in gunshot residue also are found in like his work, his line of work, like you have some of those same particles. Mm. And so, you know, because his hands were dirty, um, his right. hands were so dirty that it took them a long, long time to do the gunshot residue on his hands. He, um, mm. I had somebody that kept checking with him, like, has it come back? Has it come back? And he even sent back and said, what kind of work did this guy do? Said um, his hands had a lot of dirt, whatever, particles, and, yeah. and it's, it's causing us to have to take us much longer which actually is even a point to do back to the thing of things not seeming right is, you know, he would not have come in. I mean, he ha- still had his shoes on or his boots. If you were at this his apartment for hours. Watching movies Why and would stuff. you go in and laying down in bed? You would yeah. have taken your boots off. Or, I mean, they were dirty. They mm-hmm. were whatever. I mean, and, yeah, you know, point. probably I had some guys that work on tow boats to contact me after the podcast came out and, they were like, 
you know, the very first thing you do when you get home is take a shower. Right. You know, because you are just, you know, you just, you're usually dirty. Yeah. And you have, you haven't been able to get like a good shower or whatever. And they said, you know, that's just one of the first things you do. And he obviously did not. So um, it's just some things like that that you can't really say is forensic evidence. Yeah. But yeah. it is abnormalities. Sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So a few days after Christian's funeral, Chris went to the sheriff's office and had Christian's phone unlocked. And there were multiple messages sent to Whitley that were pretty hard to read. The text talked about wanting to commit suicide or express active suicidal ideation. But again, they had possession of Christian's phone. So there's, and Dylan, he knew how to jailbreak phones. And mm -hmm. especially, uh, you know, years ago, iPhones, could be manipulated in many ways. I mean, you could literally replace the operating system on them. You could do all sorts of things uh, to manipulate messages. You could change the backgrounds, the themes, the mm -hmm. font. And so, you know, there's a lot of controversy around the text messages and whether or not they actually came from Christian or not. What's kind of your take on them? You feel like they were manipulated and just the way that they were worded and spelling uh, was done just doesn't really line up with Christian and how he would right. talk there's some messages really the last 48 hours on the phone or really last 24 hours that are just the, the punctuation, the, you know, the grammar used, the wording is just definitely not Christian. You could look at messages he sent and compare them and how he would use a two for, you know, T-O or you for Y-O-U and just different little things like that that he did um, and then just punctuation, he usually didn't even punctuate. Just one sentence ran into another sentence, into another sentence, and you just had to learn how to read, you know, his text. I mean, there were times when he would text me that I would have to call him and go, what are you trying to say? <laughs> you know, because this yeah, isn't, right. this, I don't understand what you're trying to say. But then th there are some weird things with the phone records. Like once we got his phone records and, um, you know, her phone records and Dylan's phone, everybody's phone records, there's just some weird, I mean, I can't say, I mean, someone that has a lot of IT background, I guess Mike could, um, there's just like things like where it looks like it's a three-way call on her phone, but I mean, you know, like we, it, it's just some weird things. Yeah. Um, and that I don't, I'm not technologically savvy enough to even know how to explain it. Um, and the people that was looking at it knew much more about it than I did. And they, you know, they were just like, something's weird here, but we really can't put our finger on what, what is going on. Because when you get the phone records, you know, there's all these codes and lines yeah, of numbers yeah. and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it means something to them. It didn't mean anything to me. You know, it's just like I told, I remember sitting down at the police station with Jerry Bratto and telling him, and he agreed with me. I said, even if we say that these messages, Christian wrote them it, uh, or sent them, I said it doesn't, still doesn't mean that he killed himself no. because I said you can tell by there's an escalation. He's trying to get a reaction from her. Mm -hmm. You know, he starts out, well, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do this. Okay, well, that didn't get a reaction. Okay, well, then if, you know, if you don't do this, then I'm going to do this, you know, and then yeah. that didn't get. And so, and actually, it was, he was saying all these things, and then it was until the last thing he says, well, I'm going to quit my job and come home, and then she responds to him, you know, when it comes to, I'm going to quit my job. Mm. And when we had her phone records to look at that and know that, you know, she was taking, she was turning her locations off and taking her SIMS card out, 
and there'd be no activity on her phone for four hours. And then, the, you know, during the gun night time period, you know, she has her Sims card out of her phone and is using Wi-Fi because he can't, he won't know her location um, with that 360, whatever it is on iPhones. And so, I mean, it's obvious that she's taking her Sims card in and out so mm. that he does not know where she is. But yet you leave your Sims card in when you're at Matt Miller's. Yeah, You want him mm. to know you're at Matt Miller's all right. night. But on gun night, you don't want him to know where you are. So there's very odd activity on her phone more so than on Christian's phone that raises a lot of questions about the messages on his phone, if that makes sense. That might not, may no, not be a very good explanation, but it's almost like her records are more damning than his mm-hmm. um, to back up that something weird was going on. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So two weeks after Christian's death, Josh actually went back to the apartment and he said it was a mess. There were holes in the wall, empty beer cans everywhere, cigarette butts that had been put on the floor, and it was totally trashed. And the police actually left the cleanup of the scene to you guys, and Josh actually cleaned up the scene, which is just... I think that's very shocking to most people. They would just think that'd be a standard thing for police to take care of that. And there are companies that can come and help with that, but Josh decided to do it for himself which i'm sure was totally traumatic and, and when, when he, he sorry when no, he ahead. left the apartment it was fully spotless so he must have just been shocked by the condition that it was in when he came back and uh, i think he talked to you josh didn't he yeah because uh-huh. josh is very reserved as y'all know from mm-hmm. being yeah. at the house and yeah. i think that you and he kind of bonded a little bit and yeah you know that was a decision that he made he we were going to get someone to clean up and he um just insisted he said yeah. he didn't want anybody else seeing it. Mm-hmm. And again, Josh is a very analytical person. And, you and know, honestly, I think good he, thing he did. Well, really, it is because even though I hate that he did, yeah. it's a good thing he did because, I mean, I think sitting in that bathroom, running it over and over in his head, what the police was trying to say happened. Yeah. You know, and he's the one who came to me and said, you need to get a forensic, I mean, a, a ballistic expert yeah. because. There's just no way this happened the way they're saying no. it happened. And, of course, that's kind of set in motion us getting the first set of investigators, or I guess it would be the second, actually. But, you know, Josh doesn't say much, but I think all the time it's kind of running yeah. in his mind. Yeah. And it might be a month later, and he'll come up and say, well, what about this? Mm-hmm. You know, his thing to me was Christian wouldn't want anybody else to see that. And he felt it was important for him to kind of protect Christian in that yeah. way. Yeah, Yeah, I I have mad respect for Josh and just Mm -hmm. everything that he did and just the strength to to do that. I I can't even imagine what that must have been like. But luckily, going back and doing that process of cleaning up, he actually found more pieces of evidence in the house because the police, again, never treated it as a crime scene. They never fully, they took a couple pictures on a phone, right? They used a phone to Mm -hmm. take pictures of the scene which is just bizarre it's they're all like kind of blurry quality you can barely see really anything and also we we had discussed kind of before that there was a uh, magazine for the gun that had actually been moved right Mm -hmm. they said that it was they took a picture of the magazine on was it the nightstand Mm -hmm. and it had actually been in the bed Mm -hmm. which is which is weird and it had been moved and then the picture had been taken but also in the middle of Christian's bed, it looked like someone had cut into it with a knife 
and ripped out the cushioning, uh, almost as if you know you were looking for something that was uh, hidden in the bed. But Josh also uh, took pictures of some other things in the apartment, including a knife that looked like it had blood on it, um, a bloody shirt, and also there was some blood spatter um, that he had seen. And he actually, you guys actually took those items and you gave them to the police, and we have no idea whatever happened to them. Yeah, we gave them at that point. Um, Trent Weeks was assigned with Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, and so we Todd met him at the highway patrol office and gave him the um well we gave him a notebook that was found in the apartment that was in whitley's handwriting where she had written down all of christian's like date of birth social security numbers credit card numbers she just had a page that had all of his information on it and then there was the t-shirt that was behind the kind of stuff behind the toilet yeah yeah and had a lot of dog hair on it and was inside out and then there was a knife and we they tested the knife, but they didn't send the knife to the crime lab. They did some kind of in-house test. Like swab or yeah, something? Yeah. That is supposed to identify it as human blood or um, animal blood. And they said that it was animal blood. But my thing hmm. is, why didn't you send it to the crime lab? And there could have been fingerprints on the gun, there, I mean, on the um, knife. They, yeah, attorney general's office, everybody, nobody knows where any of that went to. That's crazy. And I mean, especially when later you find out that, you know, scene was cleaned, guns mm-hmm. cleaned, all these different things. And they didn't even bother to test anything else there because maybe you would have found DNA from right. whoever else had been there. And I mean, it's just, it's weird. The t shirt behind the toilet's just really yeah. bizarre to me. I don't know what that Well, that there was, were, you know, there was beer bottles, there mm-hmm. was just things that could have very easily been tested. Or DNA, to right? Because you could it was, place yeah. that person mm-hmm. inside of that bathroom, right? If you had tested it for DNA, just so many, so many missteps that that happened happened in this. But Detective Wilburn was assigned to the case, and by that point, they had closed Christian's case, labeled it a suicide. The Meridian Police Department closed the case after investigating Christian's death after only forty five minutes, and they never changed the ruling. Let's talk about the case file and just how that whole process and. We can briefly talk about the autopsy photos, too, because that's a big piece of this, too. It was difficult to get a hold of the case file initially. Well, it was difficult to get a hold of anything. And I have been foiling, I can't ever say that word right, um, Meridian, City of Meridian for some records. And I was wanting like emails between Chief Lee and Bilbo Mitchell, the DA at the time, just trying to establish if there was communication about Christian's case between mm-hmm. any of them. You know, they would send me all the junk mail. They would redact the emails that were pertinent, and they would send me all the junk mail, and I was having to pay like a dollar a page for mm-hmm. every. So, you know, I spent like over $1,000 on basically nothing. So I had kind of got burnt with that. So I had sent a public records request to Attorney General's office for the case file. And initially they said I couldn't have it. Then they said that I could but it would be like $967. I was afraid I was going to get a bunch of nothing right. and pay $967. So I said, well, can I come there and look and see what you have and then get a copy of it? And pay, you know, I'll pay you, but I want to make sure that what I'm getting is pertinent. So I was supposed to set up a meeting with Marvin Sanders, was who was the prosecutor who had um, presented Christian's case at the attorney at the grand jury. So that was who I was communicating with. In the interim time, 
I had a record. I had recorded him talking about the grand jury and a phone conversation he and I had, and where he said that he didn't really know what was in the case file. I had talked about the video they showed of the the suicide inside the police station and how that was right, not. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked about all of this because he was kind of defending. He was saying we didn't present it as a suicide, and I said, "Well, you did it. Why did you show this video of mm-hmm. someone committing suicide if you're not trying to?" give the grand jury the perception that you think it's a suicide. And so um, when he found out that I had that recorded, he quit answering my messages and everything. So I sent numerous emails to him saying, I'm still trying to set up this meeting. Well, in the interim time, they released the case file. And when I say they released it, they gave it to other people. And so when they gave it to them, they gave me a copy. Mm -hmm. But they gave it to the other people, the two individuals, before I ever got my copy. So, you know, he and then they gave it to him for free. They didn't charge them anything when they sent a FOIA. They said, sure, we'll of give course. you the case file. Yeah. And so because they gave it to them free, they had to give it to me free. Mm-hmm. But they did it, you know, in a way it's not standard procedure for the attorney general's office to give out a case file. They yeah. actually never give right. out a case file. I even called the attorney general's office and pretended I was somebody else and said, look, I want my son's case file. And they were like, oh, no, we don't do that. And I was like, oh, really? This was after they had released you. And I was like, well, no, it's gone to the grand jury. He wasn't indicted. I just won't, you know. And they were like, no, ma'am, we don't ever give out a case file. Wow. And I was like, okay, well. Interesting. In my case, he Um, did. Wow. So for them to give out the case file was very unusual. Yeah. And then in the manner that they gave it out and the um, the amount of information that they gave out, uh, like with Christian's phone records, they gave out uh, every text message. Yeah. I mean, they had nothing yeah. to do with his death. I mean, nothing right. to do with days leading up you know, to his death. I mean, he, they gave out every message that was on his phone. So it was every message between him and Alexa, yeah. between me and him. that had nothing to do with Whitley, you know, right. or any of it. Private. Um, you know, messages before he had ever even met Whitley. Right. So I felt like that was very shady on their part, yeah. and I felt like they were just attempting to get us to be silent. Mm-hmm. They also included the autopsy photos in that, and it was all the autopsy photos. Mm-hmm. And they made it public record so people could post it on, you know, they posted links on Facebook and on, you know, mm-hmm. everywhere. I think there's a, we have a, a message between someone and another person at the attorney general's office bragging about how that the link to the autopsy photos had been downloaded over 2,000 times. Oh, my God. Wow. And so, yeah, they were posting links on betting sites, like going to sports betting sites, and, you know, because they knew there was a lot of traffic there and posting them there. Yeah. And so just anything they could do to... To have this out, and for why? Yeah. I mean, it did not prove Mm-mm. their point or our point. I mean, you know, so it was just to be vindictive. And, yeah, just to yeah. hurt you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, and that was very hurtful for your family. That it still was, is. It's, yeah, it, yes, it was. Probably, I took it harder than anybody else. A lot of the other things that bothered, you know, the, everybody mm-hmm. has their Achilles heel, I guess, right. and that was mine. Mm-hmm. And um. So I, you know, I've never looked at the autopsy photos. I don't know, you know, and I remember Todd calling me and saying, do not click on the link. Do not open the, you know, whatever. 
So I, I don't know how bad they are, but I know they're bad yeah. <laughs> just from what other people have said. Yeah. So, I mean, y'all, you can just imagine having your child, no matter if he's 20 or 21, yeah. you know, naked. Mm-hmm. Number one, it's taking away all dignity mm-hmm. and, um, you know, cut open and yeah. for everybody to see. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, I guess in my mind, I could sit there and see, you know, the the people on the other side laughing and making fun right. and everything. Right. And I just, it, it, it really, it, yeah, that has bothered me more than anything. Yeah. It's just straight evil. Yeah. There's no it reason is. for it. There's, it's just other than to, to hurt, hurt hopeless. you and be right. malicious. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's like the most shocking thing about this, this whole case is the fact that that happened and, mm-hmm. and the manner at which it happened. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know when we were, we were working on the documentary, I was, when you, t- when I found this out, I was like, is this is this real? I couldn't even believe it, and and I went out and I started and I didn't look, but I act the actual picture, but I was able to find mm-hmm. it fairly easily, mm-hmm. and I was like, I can't believe this is out there still. Like you, and oh, and they it, bragged about it yeah, being out yeah. there, yeah, and it's like was, it's just so bad and justified, you know. And we don't know why she's upset about this. This mm-hmm. is this is our right to have these pictures, or and you know, and you had people and the people who foiled to get get it in the first place, who specifically said. To include autopsy photos, you know, so um, it was uh, and and you had elected officials whose, Mm -hmm. you know, family members was pushing, you know, I mean, actually, it was an elected officials family member who posted it on a sporting page trying to get people to. (sighs) That's that's what is Um, wrong with people? I mean, so it, you know, it became very political it mm-hmm. became very um, ugly quickly, as y'all saw when y'all were in yeah. Meridian. Yeah. But, you know, the good thing that came out of it is it took two years, but we got Christian's law done. And so now it's a felony in Mississippi for... Can they retroactively... They could have. Go and... And they asked me about that. When I say they, I ended up getting a lobbyist who helped me get it done. And he said, you I'm going to tell you, it can be retroactive. But if you try to get it retroactive... You know, you're going to look like you're doing this to be vindictive. Right. Mm-hmm. And there may be a chance that it doesn't get passed because, you know, it's going to look like you're just going after people. Mm-hmm. And um, that was before we had any idea about the support, you know, we was going to get. Yeah. You know, I think I did the right thing to say it wasn't right because it was not being done for a vindictive reason. It was being done to protect anybody for it to be happening again. But now that I know how much support we had, yeah. I don't know that I yeah. would have said, oh, no, we're yeah. going to go. Um, right, right. But but I will say that, you know, it does protect Christian as far as anyone now if they put his picture out. I mean, if they mm-hmm. newly posted it or whatever, he would be very proud. He would he be would. very proud, you know, and we didn't think his name was going to be on it. And yeah, I would have to say kudos mm-hmm. to, you know, Nick Bain and um, several other representatives that, you know, when I said they had told me that the lobbyist had said, "Now I just want you to know his name isn't going to be on it because that just that just doesn't happen that often." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, if we can just get the law passed, I'll be fine." Yeah. And um, he called me and said, "No, they're insisting that Christian's name be on it." I mean, and so it was them that I was re- I had reconciled myself to his name yeah. wouldn't be on it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think Nick Bain, um, the representative from Oxford, he had really said, "No, his name deserves to be on this." And yeah. so, um, so glad and, it was. And you know, and even in getting that done, there were people calling 
and trying to put roadblocks. Oh, I'm sure. And to it yeah. being, you know, and trying to say that we were we would impede investigations and we mm-hmm. would whatever. Mm-hmm. And okay. I mean, it was very specifically worded that law enforcement right. could have. I mean, you know, any any they need right agency. Yeah. It was just outside people. Should not be able to request those right, to be released? Right. Yeah. Right. So. And when was that officially passed? Um, it became effective July 1 of 2021. Okay, so yeah. going on a year now. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations to you guys. That That is huge. And yeah, yeah it's like a ma- you said, that's a major win. I mean, Christian would be really, really proud. Well, I will have to say, I'd like to bring the, the make this point that in today's world where Democrats and Republicans cannot agree on the color of the sky, yeah. um, it was... Both sides. That it was 100 percent. Yeah. I mean, no one voted against it. And so it was an extremely bipartisan bill. And I think that says that people can come together. Yeah. yeah. And and Get when there's some done. common. Yeah. yeah. And um, and which I couldn't imagine anyone voting against it. Right. I mean, something right. like that. But I mean, there always is some it becomes political, but um, it was 100 percent supported. That's yeah. amazing. That's great to hear. I mean, you rarely hear yeah. anything like that these days. All right, so I'm just going to go over some more, uh, not recent developments, but just later developments from the timeline we've been talking about, um, just so that we have all the information out there. But as far as Dylan and Whitley go, this is just some of the updates on them. So Dylan was in and out of jail for unrelated charges after Christian's death. And while he was in jail, a tip came in from someone who was in jail with him. And the text said, quote unquote, D set some cat up for some money. He and another dude shot him and made it look like a suicide while his bitch was tripping on bars, but they fucked up and they couldn't get any money. Whitley was in Key West for a while, um, and she has, ever since all this has happened, she has absolutely not cooperated at all with any sort of investigation, whether it be with PIs or any other sort, and she's basically just been kind of off the map for for a long time now. But there were actually two warrants for murder but Dylan and Whitley were never arrested because those warrants weren't ever activated. When Christian died, the DA at the time was a man named Bilbo Mitchell. And Bilbo had been a DA for 30 years, and he had ran unopposed for those 30 years. He wanted to call a grand jury before arresting Dylan and Whitley on those warrants. The warrants eventually got canceled, and they put out new warrants for manslaughter by culpable negligence. And right before the grand jury was called, Bilbo recused himself from the investigation for having a personal connection to the case and at that point the case was handed off to the attorney general's office for presentation in 2017 a grand jury was convened to hear evidence in christian's case and they ended up not indicting either whitley or dylan but it turns out that the grand jury didn't hear all of the evidence three years after christian died meridian police department captain jay errington looked through the case files and he concluded that christian was dead hours before dylan called 911 and that the scene had been staged Captain Arrington was actually the one who wrote the manslaughter by culpable homicide warrants that were never served. He also concluded that Christian's death was a homicide, but the grand jury never heard about his conclusions that he made, and he himself wasn't allowed to be at the proceedings. In 2018, Bilbo retired from his position as a DA and appointed his assistant, Cassie Coleman. He was in the middle of his term, so there was no normal election, and she was just sworn in. And Bilbo still worked with Cassie in some way at that time. So the Andracios tried to work with Cassie to try to, you know, get the investigation reopened and present all of the evidence that they had collected through their private investigators, through all of the experts that they paid, the forensic pathologists, Knox and Associates, the crime scene re- uh, reconstruction experts, 
among tons of other evidence that the Meridian Police Department also had and bring that before a grand jury. But Cassie Coleman absolutely has refused because she's claiming that there is no new evidence to bring forward to the grand jury because she claims to this day that the grand jury saw all of the evidence and that they decided not to indict Whitley or Dylan. So this kind of leads us to when we went out there, um, we went out there at a time when the Andrakios actually got a candidate to run against Cassie Coleman because again, nobody's run against the DA um, in Meridian. And that's when you guys uh, got Michael Grace. And we got, we got to meet Michael Grace and we were actually there during the election and it was it was very very close race and i mean honestly i'm very impressed at the campaign that you guys ran with michael grace and how close and again there's a lot of i mean we experienced firsthand the counting of the votes there is a there is definitely some some sketchiness with with all of that i mean we we went up to different courthouses and and different counties and and we we kind of saw it all unfold firsthand uh, with you guys, and that that alone was just such an experience. Mm-hmm. And we never really got to to catch up with you on sort of what happened after that. How did Michael sort of take yeah. everything afterwards? And you know, where is he now, and what's he what's he up to? Um, initially, there was some I don't know the correct terminology now. I can't remember. But basically, there was a a call for a recount, right, in some counties or in some areas and they did that in certain boxes or whatever within a precinct and then michael you know just he said that he was going to accept the outcome of the election and he still practices law and he still um does a lot in clark county and lauderdale county okay so you know i think it was a learning experience for all of us it was my first time in any kind of politics and it was his first time to run for an elected position and you saw you know and that was probably not the ideal situation to for him to be in because it was very contentious you know um a lot of hostility between both sides Mm -hmm. you know and y'all were there that night and saw kind of the arrogance and the um demeanor um that we've dealt with for years so um but but you know she's got to run again so next year's a new campaign and um we are very hopeful that there will be one if not two people running against her and okay that, yeah that's great i mean just to stop the cycle of running unopposed mm-hmm. i think is is what has to happen i mean because because the thing is is if if a new da comes in that opens you guys up an opportunity to go to that new da and actually yeah actually make some progress and you know not get the same excuse that you keep hearing over and over again that you know until you bring me new evidence i'm not gonna you know bring it to a grand jury or even consider it and hopefully you know you might be able to progress even though we're way beyond that at this point Mm -hmm. you know just having a new da just for lauderdale county and and Mm -hmm. all the citizens that live there i think is is uh is beneficial uh to to everybody at that point so is Michael Grace considering maybe running again? I don't think so. Okay. Um, I, I do want to say, though, just so to make sure that they know that Cassie's now recused as of March of 2021. Mm-hmm. So she can't, I mean, she can't have anything to do with it now. Right. Uh, that was something that she brought, um, you know, she filed a motion to be recused. So, yes, unless there's a new DA, her DA, you know, as long as it's in, under her she can't. jurisdiction, yeah. she cannot 
hear, uh, try the case or, or present it to a grand jury. Right. How do you guys feel about her being recused or how did you feel at the time? Uh, we were very happy. I mean, I don't know why she didn't do it way yeah. before then. Right. Um, because I've always thought that Cassie played this whole thing mm-hmm. wrong. Um, very personal. Right. If she had, when she was first appointed, just met with us yeah. and sat down and said, hey, mm-hmm. you know, I hear your concerns. I'll, I mean, even even quite frankly, if she had not even done anything, but she had kind of strung us along. <laughs> yeah. But she wouldn't. I mean, it was right. just kind of like, nope, not going to do it. Not, you know, and then became very personal yeah. with it. And, Getting you know, both Facebook. sides became yeah. very, yeah. And so um, we, of course, she and I do not have a very good relationship at all. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, you know, thinks that we have caused her to be a target and a victim. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like if you're a female DA in a male-dominated yeah. uh, position, you don't need to look like you're, you know, scared of me. Right. Who's never. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm. I'm. I'm not out. You know, gang banging on the weekends or anything. Yeah. No, yeah. She's like, yeah. brought a lot of this on herself yeah. just with her handling of it. So. So let's let's sort of talk about where where things are at now, and obviously, like we just said, Cassie's recused herself, and now. Let's talk about the special prosecutor, uh, prosecutor and uh, the attorney general's office and kind of you took this all the way to the top uh, as far as the government goes in in Mississippi. And now you're waiting for the attorney general's office to appoint a special prosecutor to take Christian's case and take it to a grand jury. Is that correct? Right. In March of 2021, there was a hearing, you know, with a judge and Cassie recused herself. He agreed to that. He said that, you know, and Cassie said a special prosecutor needed to be appointed. The attorney general's office had a representative there in court. They agreed a special prosecutor needed to be appointed. You know, I think everybody agreed that there was evidence that was never shown to the um, grand jury. And so uh, because of Cassie being recused, the DA was out of the picture. So the judge um, appointed the attorney general's office, even though they asked to be recused also. Um, they said that they had a conflict of interest because Bilbo worked for them, Gypsy, the investigator, worked for them, and, and because of some legal issues. Um, the judge said, no, y'all have enough attorneys there. You can appoint an attorney that, you know, I think they call it a Chinese wall where you don't, he doesn't communicate right. about the case. They took it to the Supreme Court, the Mississippi Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court overruled the judge and said, you know, they're right. You don't have the authority to make them be the special prosecutor. He didn't say they didn't need to be a special co- prosecutor. They just said you can't make them be the special prosecutor. So now we're just kind of sitting here with everybody saying, you know, well, I can't do it because I'm recused and the judge hasn't appointed anybody so it still sits in the attorney general's lap for responsibility of appointing. I mean, if they feel like they cannot, they have a conflict of interest, they can appoint an outside prosecutor and mm-hmm. they can be the special prosecutor. So it still is the balls in their court. Yeah, no. And just not only that, I'm just thinking. So there's a the last sort of media coverage of this yeah. case was the 48 hours mm-hmm. episode. And uh, we'll link that as well, because I think that's that's worth watching because Cassie Coleman, the current DA, she claims in the documentary that they are in the episode mm-hmm. that they brought all of the evidence. Because I'm, uh, to be fair, the other side is saying that 
This case has been looked at by multiple agencies, the MBI. It's gone all the way up to the Attorney General's office at special, you know, there's been tons of investigators looking at this and they're all, all these agencies are saying that this is a suicide. But the that's based upon, you know, who knows what they're basing that on, right? Because there's a lot of evidence that hasn't been looked at, that hasn't been, it hasn't been presented to the grand jury. So, mm-hmm. you know, why not let the grand jury take a look at all the evidence and, and mm-hmm. make the decision on whether or not someone should be indicted for whether this is a homicide or, you know, if it's not, then a suicide. And that's that's what you guys are ultimately wanting. You yeah. just want a grand jury. You want a fair chance at all the evidence being presented to a grand jury. And in the episode, they actually tracked down a juror from the original grant, the the first grand jury that mm-hmm. they they did. And they said straight up that they did they were not presented all of this other evidence uh, mm-hmm. and that it was not what Cassie said. Yeah happen in fact and mm-hmm. so clearly there's there's discrepancy there and clearly there's there's a lot of, there's just so much deception and i think that's one of the biggest things for you guys is like you want the truth you want the truth uh of what happened you want to know you know you want all this evidence and looked a fair at you want shot at yeah, justice. right and a fair shot of justice and in order to do that this is the way our system is set up so we need to have this put in front of grand jury so that people that are t- have no you know no attachment no personal connection to the case can look at it and determine whether or not this should be tried or not and and i think that at the very least is absolutely deserving i mean i just can't imagine how how you feel about about this and how hard it's been just to get to that point and that's what you're fighting for is just getting this to a grand jury so that it can be looked at fairly and and whether it goes to trial or not i mean what's what would be your opinion? I mean, I don't know how it wouldn't, you know, bring indictments because mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so much mm-hmm. here and there's so much deception and lying and there's been so many, honestly, cover up and just so much evidence, people protecting so much each other. It's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's honestly a, a case unlike any other. I mean, I know we haven't totally looked at any case mm-hmm. that has even remotely this, this level of, of not only just, deception and competence corruption but just there there's clearly more going on and it needs to be you know all that needs to be uncovered and looked at and i think that's what you're looking for i mean we just want to know that all the evidence was presented mm-hmm. you know everything i mean you know show them the text messages yeah. show them whatever right. yeah but everything is presented and let them you know make a decision yeah. and again yes i feel confident that there would be indictments just because I mean, that doesn't mean they get a guilty verdict. It just right, means that right. there needs to be full, yeah. further investigation. Mm-hmm. It needs, needs to, to go to a trial where they, everybody can put on, out, you know, their their evidence. You know, that's that's all we've ever wanted is just to feel like that we were, all the evidence was looked at and all of it was seriously considered and not just an excuse made to, mm-hmm. to explain away something. You know? Right, or protect their own interests right. in this. And that's mm-hmm. that's the most difficult thing is, so many people have so much to protect and to, you know, they don't want, that's the thing is, and what we kind of came back from our trip down there was like, if they unpack this, then how much more do they have to look into? How many other more cases out there have been, been botched or uh, just have corruption running through them that people are going to want to look at. And, you know, what does, what's the chain reaction of events that are going to happen? And I feel like, that's what those at the top are trying to prevent is that this is going to open up mm-hmm. a big, big box of 
well, I mean, it would make me as a as a family member in that area mm-hmm. wonder mm-hmm. about my family members who went to grand jury and either was found guilty or not guilty. Maybe they were found yeah. guilty and they shouldn't have been found guilty, you know, yeah. or I say guilty, indicted. Um, I just feel like if, I mean, I don't sit here and think that Christian's case is, was, you know, he had this special importance to these people that they made all these, you know, dug this hole for themselves. I mean, I'm sure it goes on all the time and to such a degree that to them it's no big deal. And they didn't right. think that, you know, they would get yeah. caught. I mean, mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier, most people don't find out what's presented to a grand jury because that case file isn't released. Right. And they have proven the point that anybody can get indicted or not indicted. It's dependent on who is presenting the evidence. Right. If they want to skew it one way or the other, they can. They can. And right. nobody knows anything about it because the jurors just don't know any better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just the family is not yeah. present. And it's supposed to be a closed proceeding and secret. So how many times does this happen all the time? Right. Yeah. And we have hard proof now that that's, oh, right. a, that's in right. fact what happened. Like that's the latest as we know for sure right. that the evidence was not presented mm-hmm. and it was skewed heavily one way. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that's that's all you're asking for is a, a fair shot at, at a trial and for, for jurors to look at the, the whole case. Do you feel like that day could be coming soon? I do. I think that we're closer to it than we've ever been. Yeah. And um, I, I, I definitely do. So one thing that we're going to ask of you is, you know, we'll have in, in the description and show notes for the episode, we'll have, of course, the Justice for Christian uh, Facebook page. We'll also have, uh, you know, your, your website and we'll also have the information for the attorney general's, off, general's office in Mississippi. Yes. And you know, we're we're waiting on them at this point, right? We're waiting yeah. for them to figure out the special prosecutor situation. So any more pressure we can put on them, the better. I mean, that will make, I think, a huge difference. So we know that you guys are super active, you know, with whoever we've brought on on our show. We've seen excellent results when we've asked you to contact, you know, whoever. And in this case, we definitely need more pressure yeah in which there's a way to go about doing this there's a way that yes, it actually gets taken seriously versus yes. just you know we don't want it to be a harassing type of thing it's yeah. more of an in- we'll have a good example below in the description box or our show notes of how best to go about contacting um also i know a lot of people were curious about the petition that we tried to that we ran um we got i think I don't remember how many signatures we ended up with at this point, but I know we hit the goal, which was 100,000. And we, according to the White House website, mm-hmm. someone has to respond if you've hit this goal. And no one ever did, um, which isn't completely shocking considering how much of a mess everything is right now. But yeah, nothing ever came out of that, which is incredibly frustrating. But um, we're not giving up, and if you would like to, you know, take that action and contact, that's that's very helpful. But also just following along, following the Facebook page, which I mean, there's truly an army behind Christian at this point. Um, it's someone's always on there and monitoring it, and it's really like a community. 000. Yeah, that's that's huge for a justice page. So definitely check that out. Join in and follow this journey because it is far from over. I know you guys are not going to give up as many people have 
told you, you know, give up, get over it, move on. It's just never going to happen. It's completely unrealistic for anyone to ask that of you. And now you've, like you said earlier, you've put in eight years of work into this case. And I don't see you guys slowing down ever. So, No, I mean, you know, if it means you just have to learn a lot of patience. Yeah. Because a lot of times it is political and you have to wait for another person to be elected, which, of course, comes around every four years or whatever. Right. But, I mean, you know, we we can wait. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not, we're not going anywhere. No. no. And it's it's your, your fight for justice for Christian as has magnified you know it's it's helping not only looking for justice for your son but you're potentially going to help countless others mm-hmm. by because I, I really truly believe that if if this actually goes to trial that this is going to be groundbreaking for especially meridian but just for the whole state in general and just the the things that could potentially be unpacked and revealed and i mean potentially people losing their jobs potentially people other people you, who may have done things that they weren't supposed to do or covered up things. And I mean, there's, uh, there's articles of Meridian police, uh, police officers getting indicted for corruption charges um, mo- recently. And I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot there, you know, that needs to be investigated and changed. There's just big changes that need to happen for the whole community as a whole. And I think the fact that you're, you may not have meant to lead the charge with that. The fact that you you really are at this point and you're you're just doing such an amazing job at it and you're you're not letting anybody stop you no matter what mm-hmm. people say to you and the horrific things people have done to you it's mm-hmm. just you're truly an inspiration for yeah. for everybody and yes. for us and for all those out there that are fighting for justice and and you know fighting the this the system and no matter how broken it is you know never never giving up hope that you know all it takes is that one person or that one you know, law to, to be passed and things can start moving. So thank you so much. And and thank you for coming on our show. It's, um, it's great to see you. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been, I can't believe it's already been, been a, a couple of years. I know. Made that wild ride. I know. Where we go to Kemper County. That was a wild time. I will never forget that car ride. I kept apologizing for Chris. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You kept saying, don't worry about it. He's used to it. That was a big fan. Once in a lifetime experience. for sure. That was, that was, it was, I mean, just your whole family. They're, you guys are amazing people and yeah, felt so welcome know, and yeah welcoming us into your home i mean yeah. complete strange you know we're like oh yeah we're you youtubers <laughs> yeah we want to make this you're our first yeah you know family we've ever done this kind of of a video with and honestly i'm super proud of it i mean we're we're both i watch it all the time still and i'm just like this is this is what it's all about and it really has instilled this passion and fire in us to keep going and try to help others and and do more of that in the future and, you know, because there's so many other other people and, mm-hmm. and families out there that need the same type of, of help and just being able to help in some type of way just, mm-hmm. you know, it makes makes doing this all the worthwhile. Like it's mm-hmm. not for us. It's about the actual real life changes that happen as a result yeah. of of covering this and, and of this. covering cases and diving into this. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's. That's why we're in it, and I'm so glad that we got to the chance to meet you and, and work with you and your family. So. Well, I think that y'all, I mean, you know, like we discussed earlier, just give families a voice that yeah. don't feel like anybody's listening. And, you know, y'all do have a large platform, mm-hmm. and so you can reach so many people. And sometimes it's just 
the person who contacts you over Facebook and says, hey, I watched Kendall Ray's 801. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you know, you can be having a bad day and you get that message. Right. Or, you you know, you are like, where are we, are we ever going to get anywhere with this? And you get a message like that from a total stranger, yeah, you know, from wherever. And so, you know, I think that um, y'all, too, should be applauded for everything, all the voices that y'all give to people. Because, you know, I know y'all haven't been there, and I hope you've never are on this side yeah, of things. Yeah. Um, but you do feel like you don't, nobody's listening. And yeah. so... Y'all are a, a way to at least feel like yeah. somebody's listening to you. That's the least we yeah. can do. Then we're more than happy to do that. So yeah. yeah, and also just to people out there, I think just hearing what you said, it makes such a difference to reach out to a family, to send a message, to follow, even if they don't have time to respond. That goes a long way, much more than people realize. That can keep them going when you start to feel hopeless. Um, I think it's really amazing. The internet these days. I mean, there's so many bad things about the internet too, but to see a community like this that you've built and how many people it's brought together, how many mm-hmm. f- people have made friends. I mean, you have a friend here today. You guys are going to a concert tonight that you've met, you know, through the internet. Right. And it's it's just really cool to see what you guys have done. I think you're huge role models to other families out there that could be in similar situations and just kind of setting the blueprint for right. others in the future. Um, well, I would encourage anybody that is going through something like this to have do a, a support page. Like yeah. we have Justice for Christian right. a support page because, Huge. you know, number one, they can do all kinds of things. I mean, I have people who send me, oh, I saw this person and they're working here or they're living here. I mean, you know, some total stranger that just, it, but it's not just that. It is the support. It is knowing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Justice for Christian has done, we have our flaws sometimes as a group. Um, but we, you know, they've provided Christmas two years in a row, the members of Justice for Christian for, you know, 60 kids one Christmas and 45 kids last Christmas oh, wow. and um, donated gifts and wow. um, because of COVID that couldn't go on past with family. So, um, you know, they have done banded together and taken on causes outside of. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. So. Wow. That's really cool to hear. Well, you are always welcome on our show. Yes. Seriously, I mean, if there's any updates or anything we can do ever, you know, of course, even if it's as simple as a retweet or sharing something that we're here and, you know, we have faith that there will be justice for Christian one day. Absolutely. Well, thank yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for, for okay. coming on the show and we'll go ahead and uh, wrap up there. But thank you guys for hanging in there with us for this one. I know we covered a lot of stuff. And again, if you're looking for more information, check out Mm -hmm. Apartment 801 Part 1 and 2. We'll have everything linked. Also Culpable, great resource. Mm -hmm. Uh, Justice for Christian and all the other links will be in the show notes in the description box. But we will see you guys next time.